0: The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. Powered by Palladio Home and Garden. With your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder.
1: Good morning, gardeners. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can be with us this morning. I'm Veda Vance with Palladio in Memphis.
2: Yes, she is. Uh, Happy Mother's Day to you, Miss Veda. Thank you. And I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim. (laughs)
0: and proud to be
1: here. There we go. Yeah. So, um, yeah, happy Mother's Day this weekend to everyone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, man, if I was a mom, I mean, I am the, a mom. But. I've been
0: called a mother. Can I, can yeah. I celebrate?
1: <laughs> <laughs> My mind was going in so many directions when I was like, to all the mothers out yes,
2: there. Yes, happy Mother's yes. Day to all the mothers. And I tell you, the garden centers of been really busy and getting geared up for our Mother's Day weekend. Mm-hmm. A lot of hanging baskets out right. there.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, what I was about to say was, if I wanted a Mother's Day gift, there are two roses. They're tree-form roses that are insanely beautiful. I mean, if you show up with one of those or both of those for your mom, you're totally a winner. So
2: you're in, huh?
1: I mean, they're right. gorgeous. Well, tell us the name of them. Don't ask me that part. I really don't know, <laughs> actually. I'm thinking, wait, they're a... Uh, um, it'll come to me soon. They're just pretty in red. They're little red. They're not floribundas or um, grandifloras. They're they're. Pro- I think they're actually like a... What is it? I know definitely they're grafted, though, right? Aren't tree roses no, yeah. grafted? It's yeah. It's probably, yeah. A, night, probably so, a knockout. <laughs> yeah. I, but isn't that... I know I'm getting... I was almost to that, but which one is it? It's got a little bitty red bloom on
2: it well there is the little new knockout petite you know but may,
1: no, but i haven't seen that in a tree pretty. form though yeah oh i can't remember but no, but roses are
2: always a big you know big mm-hmm. nice gift hanging baskets yeah. uh i mean
1: hydrangeas.
2: gift certificates Hydrangeas. Outside, tree yeah. formed hydrangeas i mean everything mm-hmm. honestly you know, anything and everything from the garden center. Now, what you got to do, though, you got you to bring it up a notch.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You
2: know, you, you can get the stuff at the independent garden centers, mm-hmm. but you also have to plant it for your mom.
1: Uh, you can't
2: just Ooh drop Kenneth. it off at the porch Ooh and Kenneth. say, Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> you know? No. You got to have your shovel in your hand, your soil conditioner, and ready to go.
1: Mm. Or you put well, stuff true. in containers. and nice.
2: Which is the easy thing to do.
1: Well, you know, that makes me think of what we were talking about last last weekend about planting a whole bunch of stuff in mm-hmm. a container outside on how it's going to grow. Well, I know y'all are going to get um, baskets or, or containers for indoors on your tabletop, probably. Mm-hmm. And it's got a lot of things put in there. So it just looks gorgeous right now. But as... About a week or so, you should take them apart because they'll, they'll usually be a, a whole bunch of different types of plants still in a container, but just pushed in there and then moss around it. But if you don't, I mean, if I'm that's, not going to buy a
2: beautiful custom planter and then take the thing apart know, a week later. It's like two, no.
1: two ways because either it's going to, pieces are going to start looking bad throughout it. Because if you're wanting to keep each individual plant looking good, you're going to have to take it out. And do something else with it. But would I take mine apart? No, I would I, not. I, I don't, probably not. I'd probably let it just keep going and going enjoying each stage of it and then whatever survives it, and the others go away. I
2: mean, as long as, as, long as whatever it's planted in has got good drainage holes in the bottom, you know, and yeah, a lot of times they're overcrowded. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if something was to kind of peter out, I'm just gently digging that little one out, <laughs> probably trying to plug in something else in its place, right?
0: Right. What are you doing, Jim? I'm... You- just sitting here going, what's the point of this conversation? <laughs>
1: <laughs> to let people know that when they get their mother. See, the re, this is, seems to happen in, uh, a lot where people will come in with their plants or, their, or pictures and go, why is this looking so bad? And it's only because it was just planted to look beautiful, but not planted to live forever mm. or for a long time. But then it wouldn't look all that great. For the moment. For the moment, mean. yeah. So you'd give your mom like three small plants and go, This is just gonna look pleasing you, is it? <laughs> I don't think so. See, I think it too much. Can't enjoy it because I know the outcome.
2: <laughs> well, but hanging baskets are easy though. I mean, you know, you can get any kind of hanging basket out now, there. Now if you
1: get a hanging basket No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding.
2: You gotta make sure that the basket's, you know, the right type of basket, right beta. Right. Of- but no, I'm just saying all that stuff is really easy. And and you know what Mom doesn't like beautiful color from the garden center, honestly, mm-hmm. oh yeah, you know, Absolutely. and then i and then, you know, years ago, I used to always think that gift certificates were kind of like the easy way out.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I love giving gift certificates because that way they get to get what they want, you know,
1: yeah, honestly, yeah. I do, too. I love the gift certificates because it's fun to go buy what you want. And that's <laughs> my
2: point. You know, if it, when people start trying to buy for you, I mean, I get it. It's great. Yeah. But it's easy to go out and buy for yourself, too, with the gift certificate.
1: It is fun, though, What uh, customers come in and they go, I'm getting something from my mother that has everything. And so it's you're instantly like, okay, let's go hunt. This is going to be fun to find something that your mother doesn't have.
2: So, Jim, even though people have called you mother before,
1: <laughs> <laughs> happy Mother's Day, too. Thank you, me, thank you very just much. Just let us know what you want,
2: buddy. <laughs> yeah. But also, guys, I mean, and I know we've talked about this for the last four months, I've had more people come into the garden center this week mm-hmm. and tell me they are starting to see things come out of these dead-looking shrubs that we thought were completely mm-hmm. dead. I mean, Cleara, for example. Yep, I saw
0: two Cleara this week that – um a month ago i thought these are toast absolutely popping little tiny growth all at the top it amazing. is they're
2: naked as they can be up underneath there yeah i know but they're gonna be that way Uh but but you're still seeing some growth for the people that held on and didn't you know dig them up and throw them in the compost pile Mm -hmm. it's amazing here it is what Mm mid-may and we're just now starting to see a little growth gem on some of these shrubs that were just so decimated back Mm -hmm. during the winter yeah and there's and they're struggling they really are Mm -hmm. because you know we've talked about this
0: before they normally have full of foliage it's producing food to to really help kick those buds Mm -hmm. on and they got no foliage Mm -hmm. so all the food they're getting is what's stored already in their mm-hmm. roots and stems, and then what little bit that new foliage can make. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're going to they're going to struggle, and you know, so they're, they're really so the, they're not out of the woods yet. No, and we I don't think
1: we'll be out of the
0: woods until we get through till next spring. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think yeah. I
1: agree, man. Because you know, sometimes the summer will get them, and a lot of times the winter will get them, even though we think we made it. Mm-hmm.
0: That's yeah. my question: is whether or not. The foliage they go into the winter with is going to be able enough to sustain them long-term.
1: Well, oh, so yeah.
0: so what would we do, though? Would we go in there? Do you go ahead and cut them no, back? we just I dig will, them out. <laughs> well, that, and that's that's one option there, you know. Yeah. If if you don't want to look at sticks for another six months or so, yeah. just replace mm-hmm. the darn things. Well, you know? yeah, of course. Um, yeah, but, um, you know, if if you're wanting to wait, um, yeah, I would, I would trim them back fairly hard. Uh, and let and, them and of course feed let them. Let them flush from the ground. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, let's, uh, that and is hope for the best. Yeah,
1: a hard decision to uh, because if you go ahead and take it out and plant something in its place now, then you're going to have that chance for it to grow and be looking or surviving through the summer and all while your other one's still in there. With sticks and small leaves on it. Well, you know is how it, I
2: feel. And we made the comment about you know with some of the stuff that really suffered during the flash freeze that we had. Are people going to turn around and replant those same plants? And the answer is yes yeah. and no. And the, what I mean by that is these customers I was talking to the other day they had cierras against a, a fence, okay, because they wanted something that was going to be big and bushy, evergreen. Didn't want a tree, but they did want a taller shrub. And this fit the bill, right? And they had many of them out there, more than one, of course, and they were so excited that they're just now starting to see some growth out there. Well, the thing is, let's say if they don't make it, are they going to replace it with Cleera? I mean, I would, honestly, but,
0: you know. I I see no reason to not replace anything that you've lost. Yeah, Yeah, same. You know, even with the Cryptomeria. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think we'll ever, you know. Uh, yeah see a situation like this again of course, yeah. you know now i'll say that it'll happen next year right uh, yeah but <laughs> you know but, but, i mean
1: really uh, this is pheno- an anomaly yeah, yeah. you could it, say yeah to to repeat that same weather pattern because it's not like a normal weather pattern at I mean, all you, yeah i mean you can say we can we can always say well it's not going to rain as much next year and you're like well you know that's probably a 50 50 But you can't say we're going to have a flash freeze drop 50 degrees in one day after we didn't have a chance for the plants to harden off. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's just such a bizarre weather pattern to happen.
2: Well, I'm glad to see some of these things that we thought were completely dead actually start to flush. out. I mean, because that means there is hope. I mean, for the ones that haven't dug them up or cut them way back, even cutting them back, I have no problem with that. But the ones that hadn't Mm -hmm. dug them up yet, these things still have a chance.
1: Man, it's exhausting to my brain. To see all these plants, because I like to prune, and I and so there's so many things that I, I'm driving around looking at, going, I want to prune that one, yeah, I want to prune that. Well, a lot one. of need pruning. I want to fix it, or um, you know, I want to form, make, make that one into a tree form. You know, like say some of the camellias that possibly mm-hmm. where some canes are alive and some aren't. Well, I wrote camellias you down. Could, you could do some some creative pruning to it well when we get back <laughs> i, I want to
2: talk about camellias for a minute because we know there's so many different varieties of camellias out there and you know what's which which path should we go down i mean which ones should we choose i mean is there is there some camellias that we need to leave alone i don't know i mean so mm-hmm. we need to talk about that
1: all right y'all we're going to take a break you're listening to us on KWM 990 news talk Good morning, gardeners. Sounds like Christmas music. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like we're having static. (laughs) And welcome to Mid-South Gardening.
2: If you want to give us a call this morning, it's really easy, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926. And of course, you can always go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text there like Jan Farmer, one of our good old Dirt Buddies. See, good morning, Jan and Jamie. She said, uh, good morning, Dirt Buddies. Uh, So good morning to y'all. And, y'all, we were talking about, you know, of course, you know, a lot of the winter damage that happened and some of the stuff. And a lot of the stuff is coming back out. Thank goodness. Now there are some things that I still have some doubts about. And some of those are some of the beautiful camellias that were planted around this city. Uh, And as far as camellias go, because I know that it can be confusing when people walk up and they see 100 camellias there. And you see some that say Sasanqua. You see some that say Japonica. You see some that say Ice Angels. you, You see, I mean... Is there a guideline, Jim, or Veda, that we should think about when we're when we're purchasing camellias? And you know, for people out there that don't know, what is the difference between them?
0: Okay. Well,
2: if um, if you're seriously
0: into gardening and really after a particular type, color, or yeah. size, then plant it. Okay? Yeah. If you're wanting something that'll be pretty and you're not as picky, then if you're going to, if you want a spring bloomer, then you should stick to things like the Ice Angel series. Um, the, um, there's another one too that's uh, equally as hardy. And they're, they're hardy to zone six. Now, forget this flash free. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Um, those are going to be really dependably hardy for you. Mm -hmm. Um, The older varieties like Professor Sargent, Governor Mouton, those are really Zone 8 plants. And although we are maybe right at Zone 8, you run the risk of losing the buds, Mm -hmm. not the plant. um, Before they get a chance to blend. Right. A good good many times we'll have a a frost or a freeze when they're showing color. Mm -hmm. If the bud's tight, it's not going to hurt them. But if they're beginning to show a little color, then a frost will pretty much
2: destroy the And f- we're known f- for getting some of these late frost, of Sweet course, frost, around here. You yeah. Know,
0: and so many of the, the camellias start blooming as early as late January, but a lot of them in February and early March. Mm-hmm. So that's during a time when we typically have frost. Um things like Sosanquas, they're they're fall bloomers. The there's other ones, the, the Sasanqua hyamolus. Um, which is like Shishigashira, mm-hmm. um, the greens, blues, some of those. Uh, they're they're typically dwarfer, more compact, mm-hmm. uh, fall blooming. Uh, which is and, which
2: is not a bad deal because you're blo- They're blooming in the fall, so you don't have to worry right. about carrying that bud through the winter and early that's, part of the next year. Right.
0: Doesn't mean you can't lose the f- the flowers to a fall frost. Right. Okay, so. You know,
2: the the worst place to put a camellia is on the east side of the house. And see, I would think that would be the best place because you want to keep them out of that hottest part of the afternoon sun. That's the true
0: part, but you also don't want sun to hit that bud first thing in the morning if it's got frost on it because mm-hmm. that will blast that thing apart. Mm-hmm. So if even the shade of a deciduous tree when it has no leaves on it will keep the ground cooler uh, and it will... You're much more likely to have success because even on a deciduous tree, you won't see frost. Yeah, you know, even so. on the east side, you're that's fine. Right. Yeah, so something like that that protects it from that morning
2: sun. That's that's kind of the key thing. So the Sasanquas are usually the smaller leaved and the smaller bloom, usually, yes. and typically speaking, and blooming in the fall. Mm-hmm. The japonicas, which to me is the old fashioned camellia, usually a much larger leaf, typically a much larger bloom. In more of a spring type bloom. Mm-hmm. Um, and any do's and don'ts, Jim, or we treat them the same?
0: I think you pretty much treat them the same, you know? Yeah. Um, they like an acidic soil, around five and a half or so. Give them fertilizer, um, usually in the spring, uh, mid March or so. Yeah. Um, and, and give them another little dose, usually, first of June is good. Um, and don't a, trim after July one, because it's about to set buds for either the fall or the next spring. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, you know, in, in good drainage, plant them high so that they don't have wet feet for any extended period of time
2: and they'll do fine for you. Yeah. And you know, and we've always said, we think that camellias are one of those plants that are really underplanted because I mean, they have beautiful foliage. They're easy to grow. They're tough as everything, uh, under the right conditions. Right. You know, well drained soil.
1: And and I like and I always wonder why people never plant these as much. And I was so glad to hear Jim recommend this one to uh, someone that came into the garden center. It's the Shishi Geshera. Yeah, because it's a, pink, a smaller bloomer, one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and it's a pretty bloomer, and it's got nice foliage too, and, and a
0: very long bloom period. I usually have. A Scattered Flower, late September, early October, all the way through Christmas. You know, it'll peak sometime in November. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's a great one. You know, there's but, some other really spectacular ones. You know, if you've got room, Sparkling Burgundy, outstanding. Uh, is that a Sassanqua, jam? That's a Sassanqua. That Gets makes me qu- thirsty. Get quite large. <laughs> um, and... Uh, y- y- you, you know, you ought to find a place in, in your garden somewhere for Camille. camellia. I you agree. Just, you just should. Now, what about... it's
1: like every, every... It's crazy. It's like um, everything that you have to have in a southern garden took a hit, it seemed like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you have to have a hydrangea, a camellia, an azalea, really a sweet olive. Yeah, the
0: southern magnolia is the only thing that did okay, and I'm not sure why.
1: Right exactly i was thinking about that this week why are the southern magnolias doing so fantastic in the cryptomeria i'm still just flabbergasted yeah. over the cryptomeria
2: yeah. now what about some of the potential problems like scale you know we always hear yeah. about camellia scale
0: yeah you're going to see tea scale mm-hmm. you know because tea is made from camellia sinensis oh uh, and it's uh, it's a nice shrub uh kind of twiggy but in yeah. a, a small white flower it's you know not grown for its flower but if yeah. you want to make tea it's it's the plant to do it with um and what were we talking the scale let me do we just i mean, yeah, just, <laughs> I mean yeah. if, you, if you see you, white you, little bumps yeah you'll always the... see a little bit around the ground you know okay uh and i don't worry about that it's mm-hmm. when you start getting it up inside the plant you know up off the ground then that's doing enough damage to the plant that you need to to get in there and spray. And it's not just a Camellia sinensis that g- can get it. No, it's, the, all it's the all camellias, camellias it, right. Yeah. Um it's, the drench gives me two years control. So I like. Yeah. And which is
2: easy to Mix thing. and pour is all you do. And yeah,
1: and you buy, you practically have to just use a drench on scale if you have a large amount. You know, yeah. maybe if you got scale on a few plants, you could turn the leaf over and spray the back. But it's difficult because usually the scales on the things that have the waxy shiny leaves and they're, and always, on so the, and they're always on
2: the underside right. of the leaf. So it first seems like. it runs
1: off and it's not gonna kind of uh, adhere to the leaf and run under it. So it runs off. And Like you said, you'd have to take your sprayer, turn it upside down, and spray under the foliage, which is dangerous to you really. Because you know it can it can get on you. So the most the easiest yeah. way. And the really the most effective way, yeah. the yeah. most effective is and the cheapest drainage. in the long
2: run. And what about all yeah, right yeah. I know we only got about a minute, but other than T scale Uh, We do see sunburn from time to time on camellias if they're getting too much afternoon
0: sun. We see leaf and stem gall, which is, you know, we see it on the Zay. There's one... They're different species, but there's one that gets on azaleas and one that gets on camellias. Where the
2: leaves just kind of balloon out on
0: That's you. That's right. They look yeah. like a waxy – it reminds me of those big plastic – or waxy I lips know. you just wear, <laughs> yeah. you know, Your when you're The leaf does that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just really <laughs> weird looking. That's but, a
1: better description. Yeah. Ken, Ken said it, they just balloon out, yeah. and my mind instantly sees a shrub with all these big uh, balloons. Yeah. Yeah. But the and leaves just the look – Yeah, just,
0: you just, you know, cut them off and throw – throw them away don't let them drop on the ground and if you don't take them off they will drop to the ground and next year you're likely to have more trouble yeah how um, much does
1: it take to, to of the, will it kill the plant do you no, think no no it, it won't kill up. the plant just, it'll
0: just make it ugly Yeah, and then yeah. it
1: may as well be not there if it looks malformed yeah, yeah. and
0: that's that's a leaf uh gall it's that a they stem, get leaf, which is stem they, gall and yeah. i i had one on a camellia a few years ago that looked like a flower. I'll be darn. I mean it was had thick and had multiple petals. Yeah. You (laughs) know? And in fact I looked at and I thought, well now that's cool. Yeah. You know, but then realized that, you know, it wasn't as cool as was. So not a whole
2: lot of really problems
0: that very little.
1: Yeah. Very little. Man, oh man. Um I'm just I'm just looking forward to summer. It's in here. A way, it is it here. It is here. Now, if this would be summer like this, I'd really, really be looking forward to it. I
2: think she was in thought all week. You know, in midweek, no, I, I think I we, was, were, we had so summertime.
1: Fun. Well, next week's coming up is going to be nice. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid South Gardening. Give us a call 901 260 5926 you can also put in the mighty 990.com app and then you can stream us you can go to that app and then find us on a podcast mm-hmm. stream us online or go to the uh, Facebook page and and watch us right now. Yeah, you
2: know, I was talking to a gentleman the other day that said he loves to go back and listen to the podcast. I mean, he he didn't get up early and listen to us live, but he always listens to the podcast and he said he loves doing it. So we appreciate that, but you can also shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. And like Veda said, give us a call, 901-260-5926. And you can register in the week
0: on our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening, Gardening and USDA Zones 6, 7, and 8. I, I bet
1: did, that thing has been crazy. It is, it. I was yeah. going to say, the Foliage Friday, so yeah, we many. Had, we
0: had good good um, participation yesterday. We've added a couple of hundred members just in the last week. Um. Just keeps so going. Yep, we're growing. And uh, one thing I wanted to remind people, you know, with the hummingbirds coming back in, we have an excellent file on our on our uh, Facebook group uh, for food plants for hummingbirds. And you know, some of them are tropical, some of them are native. Mm-hmm. Um, but it gives you a wide variety. And we've also indicated some that are favorites from the real serious hummingbird Mm -hmm. people, you know, who have about 39 feeders. Uh, (laughs) So So anyway, it's a lot of good information on there. Oh, great
1: great hummingbird presents. Great Mother's Day presents. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Hummingbird feeder. Yeah, You know, you can make your own nectar. It's Mm -hmm. four
2: parts sugar. Four parts water to one part sugar. And just, um, Gina, my wife, even boils the water, Jim, before she uses it. But
1: she's so sweet, she just puts her finger in well, the water. True. She doesn't have to make it sugar. Yeah, which
2: yeah, well,
0: she's got, but, you know, I've never boiled
2: mine because, you
0: know, it comes out of the faucet that they're you know, really, really hot. Yeah. Uh, and then have to put ice in it to to uh, cool it down but i mean you know they drink out of my
2: fountains and stuff and they get rainwater in them and yeah so what and, would be and, the and filled with a hose what would be and, the reason of boiling it, just get it warm enough to melt the sugar. i mean to dissolve the sugar completely that, that's pretty much it okay. yeah yeah i have to tell her maybe she didn't have to boil that water
1: that's out. what i
0: always You know the thought. experts will tell you to do that and change it you know fairly frequently when you're having temperatures in the 70s Three days is about all you really so want to do A little, Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and I'm guilty about not doing it often enough. Um, you know, when we start g- looking in the 80s every other day and 90s, it should be changed every day.
1: Oh, you mean like last week? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the and 80s every day. It, it, it didn't stay bacteria long. Bacteria growing in right. it. So, right. you know,
0: and they say that will kill the birds, you know, um, so, you you know, it's just best. Yeah. Keep it clean. Yeah,
1: yeah, at least make them sick, not feel good. Mm-hmm. You don't want a hummingbird that doesn't feel good.
2: Well, and now, and the hummingbird feeder is not their only source of food that's out yeah. there. No, it's a, just a small
0: fraction of right. what they Right. You know, 80% or so of what they eat is spiders and bugs. So, you know, it's it's just a little, uh, a little dessert.
2: Up, a little, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. A little pick me up. There's, you know, because he knows he's got the feeder right there. Yeah. Anytime he wants to go over and get a little drink of sugar water, there it is, they're right? Just,
1: they're thinking, oh, I can't wait for the sugar water to come out. Is that what they're mm-hmm. saying? That's what they're saying. I can't wait for the sugar water to come out.
2: Well, they're fun. I'm telling you, and my wife's got the feeder right beside the big kitchen window. So we're sitting mm-hmm. there, and here it comes. And I've only seen one at this feeder yeah. this year, just one. And, you know, usually we have two, you know, three, uh, and they're fighting over the feeder all the time. But this year I've only seen one hummingbird around the particular feeder. Now, that's fine with me. As long as we've got one, I'm happy. But uh, usually we see more than that. Any, are, they,
1: are they running behind? Uh, well, there's I no think point. I don't
2: know. They're still <coughs> moving northwards, you
0: know. They're, they'll start nesting, the ones that are going to hang around here, uh,
2: you know, probably already started now. So then you'll begin to see more. And I tell you what, and I've told you about the mimosa tree that's in the corner of my backyard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they love that mimosa tree. I don't know because it might have insects all over it. Probably, yeah. Uh, if it's a mimosa, you but can they do. Them. They really, and because whenever time he leaves the feeder, zip, he's heading for that mimosa tree. Uh, and even during, you know, while mimosa's are in bloom, if you stand up under a mimosa tree and really look at it while they're in bloom, you will see more. Flying butterflies, flying wasps, mm-hmm. yeah. hump, humming. I mean, that's it, a good it,
1: native it, it, it really is, yeah. baby, I
2: mean, it attracts everything. I'm telling you.
1: Man, you know, um, it is good for us to help birds out with their food and all. You know, I didn't realize how many insects have to be in a yard to sustain birds, like a chickadee um, herd what are they called there it's it's not a herd not a flock it was another just word a, a whole gaggle yeah them, okay? gaggle yeah. yeah
2: that's a geese yeah i know but no, it's a bunch of them is my it? point yeah
1: but i mean they need which is anywhere from eight to 14 birds i don't know why they just say that babies but it's like um a thousand caterpillars or something that they need to, to feed their brood and so we're killing all our caterpillars and what are the birds going to eat?
2: Well, they'll find something else because the caterpillars have got to go. They're eating up everything up.
1: Yeah, because the birds that yeah, what it seems like the birds don't come pick them off my uh, cabbages.
2: <laughs> Ain't going to happen.
1: <laughs> no, they're getting them out somewhere else. But what I'm trying to say is, it, it is when we're thinking of feed the birds, the hummingbirds and all that, and we're like, oh, don't feed them because then they won't eat the native stuff. Well, we're we're in uh, we're not. Totally native in our neighborhood. But also
2: remember, they said, you know, don't feed the hummingbirds because then they won't leave before winter gets here. Yeah, Yeah. they're smarter than that. But also, I was talking to a good friend of mine, Steve Rutledge, who's a customer. He's he loves he's a birder. okay. and forever in a day, we've all done this. We'll go buy the cheapest bird seed we can find, put it in a bird feeder. And most of us getting scratched out on the ground. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're just kind of picking and choosing the, the nice morsels that they want. So he uses a, a blended uh, bird seed that also has some safflower in it. Oh, yeah. okay, I have a lot of safflower in mine. Yeah, Jim, well, you know what I'm talking about. And nothing is getting scratched out. They're not mm-hmm. digging through right. and looking mm-hmm. for some kernel that they you know, yeah. want. Most I try us, not
0: to have anything with millet in it.
2: I mean, he said it's amazing that the, yeah. if you get a good, high-quality bird seed, and he even adds his own safflower to this bird seed. Uh, You don't have the problem of them scratching around Mm -hmm. looking for something to eat knocking most of it on the ground. Because
1: we hang them around the garden center, and I don't want all that stuff under the the bird feed. Uh, Mm. And so we use the, well, one of the good ones is the Wild Delight. I mean, you find it at Independent Garden Centers, at uh, Wild Bird. Wild Birds, Inc. Yeah, Wild Birds. Unlimited. Yeah, Unlimited. And so that's a good one because there's not a lot of fluff or or filler I don't uh, want
0: millet, I don't want cracked corn. Yeah. Um, you know cuz they will get crows and blackbirds and he, and I know they got to eat. <laughs> it's just I don't want them eating it. Well, my house.
1: it's too much if they're around. Um you just don't get to enjoy all the other birds mm-hmm. it seems like. But they do. I know they have to eat, but like you said we're trying to attract certain ones to do certain things. Cuz it's like uh and then also um uh, birds they, they're going to eat um Insects, too, you know, and like you said, nobody thinks about a hummingbird eating a, a spider.
2: Yeah, but, but Jim, but anytime you put a bird feeder up, of course, here comes Mr. Squirrel, you know, and he's going to, ch- you know, check it out. Oh, and if you give him yeah. a chance, he's going to eat every bit of that bird seed mm-hmm. and get fat through the year. Yeah. Okay. And he'll look at you like, what you're going to do about it? Well, it was funny what Jim did last year. I mean, and it was so, I mean, Jim, I, I loved what you did. I mean, instead of going out there with a shotgun, you know, lose your mind and shoot the squirrel, which I have no problem with that either. You just... I modified an electric fence. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did.
0: Yeah. To where it would not hurt the birds at all. Right, Birds couldn't, and there was so much distance between the, the ground wire and the power line that birds couldn't get touch them both at the same time. But a squirrel could, so, you know, when he's got his feet on the <laughs> yeah. on the um, uh, shepherd's hook and puts his little tiny hands on my bird feeder. Oh, yeah. Then uh, he <laughs> got a rude awakening.
2: And, and and he probably came back more than one time and then finally probably got the message. Yeah, didn't have many squirrels around. Didn't, so after it. that, you didn't have a problem with squirrels?
0: No, no, they just went and ate it elsewhere, you know.
1: You know what, that, that's... Just- brings back a, a thought that um, I, I remember numerous times and, and wondering why. Okay, so like lived in Shelby Forest, tons and tons, well, right on the edge of Shelby Forest, tons and tons of trees. I don't recall seeing squirrels that much, but the place that I saw squirrels was at down the street at a neighbor's house oh, yeah. at a big walk-in <clears throat> squirrel cage. And he kept a lot of squirrels and, and he would let me go in and play with the squirrels. Why would you live out in the woods and then have a squirrel cage for the squirrels but I don't remember ever seeing them playing around cuz the trees were so tall I guess they were all up there. No, they're we're all in
2: they're all, all, they're in the, all in the city limits. The
1: yeah, but I know, but I'm like why did I why did he have a squirrel cage but well, I guess you know, he you can to
0: just have play a, with them? I, I I used to work at a, at a little tiny grocery store when I was in high school and uh, the owner had uh, flying squirrels for pets, mm. you know, and he had a big Aww. cage inside of his house. Where they yeah. were in, you know, which I thought was rather disgusting. Um, but he would bring them to work, you know, and they would just run around his shoulders yeah. and over his. Oh, no, no, thank and, you. Uh, you know, and right, there so, well,
2: were usually stains on the back of his shirt. Oh, right. yeah. Uh, so. Oh. so what? What do we do though? I mean, if you've got a bird, you've got a bird feeder. You want to feed the birds, and you want to get the right bird seed in there, but but you don't want to fight the squirrels. And I know there's a million different bird feeders out there that are quote squirrel. Proof?
1: yeah mm-hmm. oh i just had i like idea. the one that
2: you know where they grab hold of it and uh,
1: then spins them around in yeah. a circle it's, it throws them off yeah <laughs> right. i love that it's so that's funny cool. it's like it doesn't hurt them because they fly around and jump around anyway they're just just keep so them i guess off. so i know we got
2: to go to a break but i guess if we're going to do that get a squirrel feeder that oh i mean a, a squirrel feeder which <laughs> really is what they right. are get a the, bird the, feeder you can get those too yeah <laughs> that's going to be somewhat squirrel proof right
1: somewhat yeah. all right y'all we'll be right back 901 uh, 260 Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid South Gardening. You can call us 901 260
2: He starts dancing in that chair again.
1: That's swaying music. Show um, hummingbirds, birds, and feed the bees, and feed the butterflies. Uh, that's and, a, and
2: get rid of the squirrels.
1: That's a fun thing about summer, though, is seeing all the uh, wildlife come to action.
2: You know, and let me say this. Not only do squirrels like your bird feeders, they love your newly planted planters for some reason also, or your newly planted bedding plants mm-hmm. that you just put in the bed. Uh, and here comes the squirrel wanting to dig everything up And, you know, you always want to say, well, he's only doing it because he wants to, you know, dig and bury an acorn or something. Mm -hmm. That is not the case. (laughs) They're pulling the things up to be malicious. (laughs) They
1: they sit on the fence and and look at which flower you like the best.
2: Yeah, and and which tomato they want to plug. That's where they're
1: going to dig. So
2: I, I guess if you do or have had a problem with squirrels. Uh, especially in the city limits I mean you your choices are to either try to repel them or trap them um so
1: I mean or eat them
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so <laughs> squirrels do <laughs> but there are some repellents uh, like the granulated fox urine for example uh, that you can sprinkle in a container or Does around a, fox a container
1: chase a squirrel well
2: a fox is a natural oh, predator yeah. of a squirrel mm. um so yeah I mean and then of course there's the have a heart traps but I guess my point is, and thank goodness there are things that we can do as a homeowner to try to either discourage the squirrel from coming to that spot usually your beautiful just planted planters or your beds um
1: you know there's there's nothing wrong with having a fox around <laughs> in your landscape no they don't that would hurt be great. You. yeah yeah but yeah, you're not gonna we're not gonna have that around here well
0: you could but <laughs> you know we have one, one nesting out at 64 uh mm-hmm. winter time at one of the greenhouses you know, it's great so to have a rail. Sweet. It was. Unfortunately, he had an appetite for cats. So oh, well, yeah. that's so kind he of a problem. A, yeah, that can be oh, a problem.
1: Well, I didn't but. think about the foxes liking the cats. Mm-hmm. Well, darn. <laughs> I think they it's almost worth keeping them around
2: if he likes the squirrels.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of a trade-off there. Or yeah. just teach your cat to chase the squirrel away.
2: But I do think the fox urine, a granulated mm-hmm. fox urine, has been one of the better repellents to help keep these squirrels away from our beds and our containers, honestly, the shakeaways.
1: Yeah, then shake that in the container because it doesn't burn the plants. You do, wouldn't want to put too much. No, no, you, no, no, and what, it, doesn't it doesn't take a lot.
2: Doesn't take much. No, and then you and I, we can smell it for about one day. They then that after that, for
1: cats, there
2: is a dog and cat repellent. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, instead of putting the forks upside down down into the soil. Yeah, you might have to do all. Sometimes there's some real honorary squirrels out there, but um, I think I've seen that. That recommended the most is plastic forks turned upside down, pushed down into Mm. the soil so that cats can't dig or squirrels can't dig into it. But I
2: really think people have the same hatred for squirrels as they do for a mole, honestly. I think they're Mm. both neck and neck up there because it's one of those, they're varmints that we just have a horrible time trying to get rid of. And it's just because we live in the city, we can't go out there and start blasting away. So, you know. And moles—they run people crazy, just like the squirrels do. But the repellents tend to do a decent job if you keep mm-hmm. it up. You know
1: yeah, that is the thing—consistency. I saw on um, the Mid South Gardening Facebook page where I guess was it a—it was a deer that munched on that. Was that an azalea? Just totally. St- Dripped it.
0: Those are, look like
2: ewes, but oh, I'm not 100% sure, but that's either. what I thought it was. You get on the outskirts a- of Memphis, there's a lot of deer out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, And,
1: you know, like Jim said, and we recommend all the time, just take the milorganite and um, spread it on the perimeter. Well, you said around that and then go out yeah, also. Go well we need outside. a dumb, double whammy since he's already found his way into the plant. Yeah, milorganite
2: is a wonderful organic plant. Fertilizer that we sell tons of, literally tons of that, uh, but it also dubs as a really good deer repellent. And you're right, if you've had a deer problem or have a deer problem, especially if you live on the outskirts, man, you sprinkle that milorganite down, you're not going to have that problem. Yeah. And, it, and it does a good job. I mean, it, it's documented. You can read about it. You can call Milorganite and talk to them about it. It does a good job in repelling those deer. But let me say this also there's not one repellent, repellent on the market that works every time you use it. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, think about Mole Max, which is castor oil that we use for moles and voles and other ground critters, right? That doesn't mean that it's going to work every time you use it. Just like a dog repellent. There's some dogs, you put a dog repellent down, they won't go near it. There's some dogs, you put a dog repellent down, they go over and lay in it.
1: Yeah, right. It's just, it's crazy. There's always one, always one. You
2: know why they do that? I do not.
0: They do that because they want to bring the smell to you. Why? Because it's something that they that's new, and they want to share that with their owner. I don't want it.
1: <laughs> but well, they you don't know. know. Yeah.
0: I'm not sure how you could <laughs> right. get, get the dog to understand that.
1: <laughs> they're saying just in case you don't know, this is happening in the yard. Come take a whiff. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and
2: then you know you're grabbing the dog, and there's one more shower you know that you got to give the dog. Um, Every time my little dog goes outside, our little dog goes outside, if there's a dead worm or whatever, she's going to rub all in it. Mm -hmm. And I guess, Jim, that's what you're talking about. They just want to bring you
0: that. They love you so much. They want you to experience the same thing they do.
1: I've Uh, got stories I could tell about dogs rolling and things, but y'all are probably trying to have breakfast. What
2: about, (laughs) hey, pruning Japanese maples? You know, to me, a Japanese maple is a beautiful specimen tree i don't care what variety of japanese maple it is i mean they're to me they're really special trees and a lot of people come into the garden center and whether they put the wrong japanese maple in the wrong place um you know it's gotten too big it's getting too wide i can't go down the walkway anymore or whatever it is what are y'all's feelings about pruning japanese maples as a whole you know And because the reason I'm saying bringing this up is because I tell people you never there's some things that you don't want to prune or if you do prune, you want to do it very minimally. Okay, and a Japanese maple to me is one of those things because you don't want to ever mess up the natural shape, the natural beauty of these Japanese maples. Now, I I guess if we do mess up and put the wrong one in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. We've got to go in there and do some pruning.
1: Well, I I think it's your preference if you want it to grow naturally or if you're wanting it to be more artistic or or want to see the trunks on the pruning. For me, you you would prune a Japanese maple if you're just trying to make it more artistic. Like like doing a bonsai, except on a larger scale. Yeah, but not quite so bonsai, but you could go to that.
2: You have any thoughts, Jim? Do you have one thought or the other whether you yeah, should prune? You
0: know, when my daughter bought her house about twenty years ago, uh, we planted a Japanese maple about ten feet away from her front door to yeah. the left there, and it's now twenty plus feet tall, right? Uh, and it had only trimming it had had was just what hit the roof. Mm. You know, they were just yeah. cutting those off. So I went in there this year and we cloud pruned it. Um, and she's got a, a picture window behind it. And what you want to be able to do, you know, if you've got a window like that is to see the sun through that foliage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if it's so thick, you can't get that cause it just blocks out the sun. So what you do is go in and you look at li- at limbs that are horizontal yeah. and trim out everything between the next horizontal one that's mm-hmm. above it nothing hanging down nothing going up so you got spaces between spaces between them yeah and you just do that so that you can see through it and it and you don't really lose the privacy point from the outside Mm -hmm. uh but inside you can see outside and let the sunlight come through it uh and we took a substantial amount of foliage
2: out of it and Uh, and one word about it one bit
0: no uh -uh. and and it looks good and then plus we lifted it up off the ground and i have moved uh, a whole bunch of my mature hostas up underneath it now Mm -hmm. and so it looks like um Well, it's right pretty. Yeah. And if
1: it's a weeping maple, I start by sitting on the ground and looking up into the maple. Mm -hmm. We can go a little bit more over that. So if y'all have gardening questions, 901-260-5926 or post them on our Facebook page. We'll be right back for another hour.
0: The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. Powered by Palladio Home and Garden. With your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder.
1: Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You're listening to us on KWM 990 AM News Talk Radio.
2: Yeah, and if you want to give us a call this morning, 901-260-5926. 901-260-5926. Of course, you can always go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text right there. And if you miss all of this, uh, kwamradio.com you can go back and listen to the podcast anytime you want. It's that easy, Miss Veda. And we were talking about pruning Japanese maple. So I guess the the answer is, you don't be afraid to death to do a little pruning on a Japanese maple if you really need to. Right. right.
1: And like it- I, I was saying, I, I sit on the ground when I'm going to prune a weeping one. Jim was talking about a taller one. And when I prune a weeping, when I I actually, because you can look up in it and I take all the small limbs out Mm -hmm. because I'm trying to make it picturesque, you know, if someone wants it that way. So I take all the small limbs out first and then you, yeah, and you have to stand up, look, look at it, go back and prune don't just start pruning, 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 and then when you think you've cut out everything you need, get up and go look at it then. <laughs> no. <laughs> you're And it's a pain to climb out from under that tree and get up and look back in. But you need to stand back and analyze between cuts.
2: Well, and the reason I even brought this up is because I've seen a lot of prune jobs, okay, where they make something that looks really good look mm-hmm. really bad. And to me, you know, Japanese maples, in particular, are these beautiful specimen trees. I mean, they're specimen trees. And you can really, I guess, mess up the shape and the natural beauty of that tree if you get in there and don't know what you're doing, for example.
1: I see the weirdest <coughs> things. I saw three big, beautiful water oaks planted doing gorgeous. I mean, they've been there, I'd say, 10, 15 years. And for yeah. some reason, they went in and pruned them like they they didn't. They pruned them like a crepe myrtle. Not the crepe murder where they chopped them all off, but but they had them in a, a kind of a lollipop shape. And then the ones that were down a ways a little bit under the power lines were not pruned. And the ones that were not under the power lines were pruned. And I'm like, somebody probably just vaguely said, I need those over there pruned, thinking so they are well, in the it, wrong ones. Why? We've, look, we've seen know?
2: square Isaiahs blooming, okay? <sighs> well, I've seen yeah. pine trees, honest to God, pine trees that have been sheared <laughs> off halfway down. Yeah. So you look at this thing, you've got a trunk coming up, and it looks like a, a square, a <sighs> green block. Wow. Sitting on the trunk, and it was it's pine trees. Yeah, I'm like,
1: Did, what? Now say if it wasn't in <laughs> um, a location to where pine trees should be looking pretty, but if it was like in a topiary yard or a contoured yard, would it be pretty if you don't see it as a pine tree? Or was it just horrible all around?
2: Well, it was just I knew what it was. and I'm like, uh, what are they getting, trying to do here? It looked pretty neat. I got to so, say so that it could
1: work. Somewhere like as a structural element that you're creating, it yeah, would But be maybe fine it was just way. because
2: I've never seen. Because I'm before. wondering,
1: you know, could you use a pine tree like that in a smaller area and and make it pretty? Beta, it just it, it, it looks so out so of character. Yeah. yeah, but you know, I mean, there's arbavitas that are are pruned up. Use uh, use are pruned a lot. Well, those um, grow make more column anyway. Yeah, but. to make them like. Um, Straight trunk and then a square top where it kind of looks like a green trellis. I mean, this, you know, instead, but it works for that location. A lot of people don't know that it's an arbovita that should, or a yew that should look a certain way, but it looks good that way.
2: I guess if people like it, you know, I'm fine with it.
1: I just can't, I really don't see a pine tree being able to look good anyway. But but it had a a flat top. It looked
2: like a, a brown trunk coming out of the ground. And Luke, hang on just a second. A brown trunk coming out of the ground. And a green, green, I'm talking about like a square block sitting on top of it. (laughs) I'm like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen.
1: I mean, people make dinosaurs out of plants and cats out of plants and sew boxes out of pine trees. Let's go to Luke. Good morning, Luke, calling from Memphis. Thanks for the call. You're in the garden. Hey, Kenny,
3: it's Lou. How you doing?
2: I'm doing good, buddy. What's going on this morning?
3: Doing well. Hey, my gardenias have turned yellow and the leaves are falling off. That means I need some peat moss and some nitrogen in there. Is that <laughs> proper? <laughs> it's, well, first of
2: all, it's not uncommon to see yellow leaves on evergreens in general fall off the plant as they're flushing out new growth, Okay. Especially or, after a, you know, a season they've been through. About the on a
1: bunch of blooms. Right. Yeah.
2: Right. So, no, I would go in there and feed these with some, uh, you know, azalea food or, or holly tone or something like that. And as long as that new growth, Luke, is coming out really pretty and green and clean, you're fine. And the only other thing is just make sure it's not staying entirely too wet. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it's yeah, not yeah. uncommon, Luke, at all to see yellow leaves falling out of these gardenias the same time as flushing out new growth.
3: Okay. Right. I want to make sure I wasn't, you, know, you know, I just got them like, what, 10 days ago or so, and I thought, what in the world's
1: going on? Uh, now, it's probably,
0: uh, that's like a water.
1: Yeah. It could be, yeah. if, especially if they're on the inside.
0: Yeah, it, it's been so windy. Uh, it's sucking the moisture out of that root ball, and although your clay around it may be just fine but it's sucking everything out of that pine bark-based mix that it's in. So um, okay. it just pick up your watering, and that should slow it down. But like Kenneth said, this time of year, the foliage that was produced last year begins to drop off. Normally it's a slow process. Right. You don't really pay attention to it. But if it goes dry, and we've had, you know, actually you got, the stuff I've been transplanting last week has been very dry. Uh, so I I think that's, it just, it's thirsty
2: puppy. Now, having said that though, Luke, you know, we always say, you know, gardenias hate wet feet. So the best way to water these things is really soak it well. When you do water, make it count, but let that thing air out before you come back and water again. Don't, don't go out there every day and soak this gardenia. I got it.
1: Okay. All All right. right. I'm on it. All right, buddy. Thanks for the call, Luke. Thank you, you. man. That root stimulator, the um, Super Thrive, especially with the seaweed, that is really some incredible stuff. I mean, that was like the first root stimulator that I used, and that was like in 1989, (laughs) way back when. Yeah, and on transplanting a big pecan tree, actually, and um, it worked great. So add Root Stimulator every time you plant, too. And then you were just telling us about when you used Root Stimulator, the Super Thrive.
0: The Super Thrive, yeah. In fact, I started using it. um, John Naka, who was, you know, he's passed now, but he was like the bonsai master in in the U.S., uh, said he uses it whenever he transplants uh, maples. Uh, A bonsai gem or just? Yeah, he'll he'll dig one up if he's going to repot it almost take all the dirt off of it and soak it in, in a gallon of water with a little super thrive overnight yeah. and then replant it the next day <clears throat> and the only place at that time i could find it and this was in the 70s uh was to order it from california from their actual plant yeah isn't that amazing <clears throat> and of course now we've got distributors yeah. selling it and you can find it just about everywhere mm-hmm. but, a uh, bit, but but smells like baby vitamins almost mm-hmm. like abdeck you know yes it does and uh, but uh, it has turned some plants around that I thought were going to die. But, and I, I
2: agree with yeah. what y'all said. Whether it's the fertilome root stimulator that's got the, what, Indole-3? Indole-3
0: yeah. butyric acid. Okay, yes. which is
2: a great hormone to stimulate new growth, right? Great mm-hmm. product. Super Thrive that y'all are talking about, which is a concentration of hormones and vitamins. Reads like snake oil. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does. It
1: does, yeah. <laughs> but
2: it's a great product. <laughs> and then the Fox Farm, the roots, that's got just packed, chock full of mycorrhiza. Uh, so any of those root stimulants are good to use when we're planting our trees and shrubs. Right. And of course, so you that, can use it for bedding plants and
0: perennials also. You know, and what you're getting is a lot of feeder root production, which is not the roots you can see. They're they're you know microscopic hair-like things that. And the more of those you can generate, the better off your plant's going to be because that's how it's going to move nutrients in and out and water in and out and that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, but but with uh, Luke a while ago on uh, gardenias, and we see this a lot where, you know, first of all, they need good drainage. They hate wet feet. You know, so if you're planting one in the ground, we always say dig the hole just as deep, twice as wide, amend the soil, plant a little high, use a root stimulator. But when it comes to the water, if you're hand-watering, I like I told Luke, I like to water really well when I do water, but then let it air out before you come back and water again. You don't want to go out there every day with that garden hose and keep these plants that don't like wet feet, keep these things too wet. And then having yellow leaves fall out of some of these uh, evergreens, and I've seen a good bit of, uh, bit of this happening on hollies also, to where we're seeing uh, the ones that are still alive, Right. We're seeing a lot of yellow leaves fall out of these hollies, but at the same time, you're seeing this beautiful new growth.
1: Well, like the uh, Super Thrive was so good that it was used during um, uh, World War II because they were transplanting trees and things like that to provide camouflage and other benefits to the soldiers. So they used the Super Thrive through the whole uh, transplanting process because they needed to really make sure this, this camouflage grew. And it was first available on the market in like the 1940s. Yeah, I think 1948, something yeah, like that. Yeah. So, so that's why, like Jim said, it almost reads like Snakehill. The packaging is really cool, great stories to read. But it's a really interesting story, the creation of the Super Thrive. He's an interesting man. Good mm-hmm. product, though. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, break. Okay. Let's get a go to a break. Y'all can call us at 901-260-5926. You're listening to KWAM 990 AM News Talk Radio. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We appreciate the calls this morning. I know it's hard to get up and uh, think clearly, <laughs> but you can call us at 901 You can download the Mighty 990 app and stream us live online. Yeah,
2: you can uh, shoot us a text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page and... If you miss all of this, uh, kwmradio.com. Listen to the podcast anytime you want, Miss Faden.
0: And you can come visit me on Mid-South Gardening in our Facebook group. And uh, and post, you can brag, you can, you know, because it ain't bragging if you can do it. That's right. Know. That's exactly uh, right. Uh, post, you know, unique flowers and just join in the conversation. It is
1: fun. I do enjoy it a lot. It's like
0: Jim says, no bragging,
2: just facts. It's hard for things
1: to capture my attention. You know, and this is so, um, the Facebook page is just so good that it captures my attention. Yeah,
0: but you get to see what other people are doing, how they've designed their gardens, uh, those that have design, those that have no design. Yeah.
2: People's uh, And mistakes. that's okay. That's, yeah.
0: that's okay. You right. know, I, I had a nurseryman's garden, it was a mm. wide variety of stuff. And, um, mm. uh, but that's what I like. Yeah. You know, mm. and I like, we, we were talking during the break, I like to push the envelope on what you can actually grow here. And I was showing Kenneth a picture of my river stream orchids. Which I'd never heard of. That uh, that have started to bloom. This is, uh, I believe, the fourth spring that I've had them and the first blooms I've gotten off of them. Uh, so they're I mean, totally hardy here as far as temperature. They went through the, the flash freeze sitting in a 100-gallon stock tank. But they can be submerged all winter. Um and uh, but and they tend to grow in between rocks or on sandbars in the creek, so they they need sun and, and do they but grow? They need constant water.
2: Yeah, and where do they normally grow, Jim? In the north northwest, northwest.
0: northwest, Yeah, and they're native to that area, so it's a native plant, uh, just not native to here. But you know, it looks Jim's looked, got one. Look, mm-hmm. no, I have three, uh, <laughs> three <laughs> varieties. Uh, it just looked intriguing to me, and I thought, you know, based on what. The catalog was saying, I thought, I can duplicate their the growing conditions, conditions for, like it would have in nature. Uh, and and so far, it's, it seems to
2: be very happy. And that is the beauty of gardening. I mean, because we do try to, you know, we, we want to grow, well, some of us do, like Jim, wants to grow <laughs> things that are, you know, we're pushing the envelope. And, you know, things that you just typically wouldn't naturally see around here but if you give it the right conditions, they will grow around here. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you and you mentioned Jim, even a lilac is of some type.
0: Well, yeah, this is a Japanese lilac tree that I have, and it struggled the first couple of years in our heat, but it has now kind of taken off. Uh, it suffers a little bit because its roots intrude into the clay, the, into the neighbor's yard, which, uh-huh. and they spray, uh, <laughs> they spray their weeds, and, and I kind of I think, aggravated their their spray guy, and he's uh, sprayed that area really well over there. Uh,
1: so. <laughs> Which would be worse, doing a um, root pruning by the fence so he can't get anything to the root system or just letting it well, kind of know, deal with he, it.
0: They spray sometimes when the temperature's too warm so you get some drift oh, you know, sure, yeah, just some vaporization. Gotcha. Uh, and it's not enough to kill the plant. Mm-hmm. However, you know... The fenced area in my backyard, which lines up with the neighbor's house, I have had, I think now, uh, 11 or 12 plants die when they got tall enough to go over the top of the fence.
1: Oh, because of drift.
0: No, I think because they were causing shade and they were trying to grow grass (laughs) in there.
2: So, uh, oh,
1: that's uh, a neighborhood. Well, let me thing. tell you what, Veda. Wow. Like
2: yeah. you just said, I mean, we don't know a lot of times what's going on on the other side of that fence. That's, mm-hmm. that's the issue, and you know? we
0: and don't. I, I have no trouble with them using a you know Roundup or something like that, but I think they were using
2: like a soil Well, you yeah. know how we always know that tomatoes are like the canary in the coal mine. If there's any herbicide to be sprayed out there, they're going to snip mm-hmm. it out. Okay, well, yeah. a mm-hmm. guy has already brought me some samples of some you no know, disc formation you know elongated i mean classic herbicide damage on these tomatoes that he planted and oh. they were on the you know back property against the fence back there and I asked the gentleman I said you know this is either viral or it's a uh, uh, it's herbicide damage and he uh, and I said but it's a little early to me to see a lot of virus out there yeah I would yeah so I said have you sprayed it. any herbicides Uh, around these tomatoes and he's like well no i haven't and i said well what about you know your neighbors is it close to a fence and he's like well yes up against the fence and i could smell something the other day so the neighbors out there spraying Uh you know his yard but unfortunately these tomatoes got a whiff of that herbicide and they just were contorted
0: and fences really do weird things to the wind okay when you've got a (laughs) wind hitting it it will, some of it will go through between it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I used, I had a hydrangea that would get burned and just, you could see the slat marks yeah. where it was coming through yep. and just hitting parts of the hydrangea. Um, and, and, but then it will go over the top and it will spin. And
2: just, was it like the wings on a jet? Yeah. You just know, they'll drop air. that
0: little drift down there. So, uh, and it doesn't take much. And again, most of the time their plants are going to grow out of it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's usually not heavy enough to do that. But Particularly here in the spring right now, where we're seeing some days 85 and higher. Right. Uh, but these the guys that are spraying the broadleaf weeds because they're active aren't always paying attention right. to that temperature. They've got so many houses they need to do during the day, mm. and they do them. Right. So you know it's it's it just happens. So, right. So right. There's, so I've already seen damage.
1: You know, there's a lot of things we have to take into account working in suburban and urban areas as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just kind of part of it, uh, talking about things growing from the other, from your neighbors or, or having neighbor wars. I had a girl ask me, she showed me a picture of these roses that were in their neighbor's yard, but they had all grown over her side of the fence. So she was getting the benefit of the blooms. Sure. It always works that way. And she asked, is it is it okay for me to prune the roses off the roses on my side of the fence. It is. And I'm like, well, yeah, absolutely. And besides, how would they know on the other side that you pruned a rose mm. off this well, side? Well, but that was good that but she was know,
2: concerned that, that w- she didn't want to go in there and start cutting on anything no. that technically wasn't hers. But if it's leaning over the property line, anything, that property line straight up is her.
1: her right. And I As was her thinking property. it was too bad a lot of people aren't that uh concerned, you know, because like you said, they will come back and uh, they'll uh, half your tree's gone because a neighbor decided to do something well you know without even discussing sometimes just discussing you there's usually and,
0: and you know, and I don't mind that, but like you know I've got a hackberry that came up from seed many years ago, and it's now got a huge trunk on it um it was underneath a an elm that they improperly pruned to where it had just a few branches at the top, and it was like 40 feet up (laughs) to them. Good Lord. You know, instead of taking the tree out, which they ultimately did. Yeah. Yeah. But I I let the hackberry come on up because I needed the shade Uh in my garden once they um, destroyed Uh the Um, elm.
1: Just replaced it with the the hackberry. Exactly.
0: But, you know, when the hackberry grows over the fence, instead of cutting the limb off at the trunk where it should be, they'll leave about five inches. Yeah. You know, and... Which is not the proper way to prune. it. Yeah, you say they. You mm-hmm. mean the people on the, the people other on, side of the fence. Yeah. And I, yeah. Like I say, I don't mind them cutting it, but I wish they would, you know, or ask me. Prove it and I'll yeah. yeah. do it. Carol. Yeah, the correct way. Take, right. Yeah,
1: because if there's only, how, how much did you say? Oh, was you know, left two by, a foot, yeah, you know, so, 16 well, inches. No, just, just, five, I'm, we're talking five inches. I no, mean, these, Yeah. Uh, just take it off. I know. But so many people do just, they don't really realize just taking the ends off. Is a uh, issue, yep. <laughs> but it is. It just looks funny anyway.
2: Well, and also, I was talking to a lady, and I thought this was pretty comical the other day. You know how all the damage that we've seen on the cryptomerias—most uh, of them are just toast, mm-hmm. brown, needle trees out there, right? And she has a line of them that is right down her property line, and it's just—it it's, it was a barrier between her backyard and the neighbor's backyard, and they wanted that green privacy there. And I asked her. I said, "Well, are you going to just go ahead and have them cut down?" And she said, "Are you crazy? They're still working." I know. As it's, a project, I wondered
1: <laughs> yes. when you see. I'm wondering if I would have done that too. Left them and then maybe moved forward or planted close to them. Well, she said for the they're still doing
2: their job, yeah. even though they're not green right. anymore. But their needles are still hanging on there. And I she just said "Found
0: it, a new use for spray adhesive." <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yes, and I did hear there was some new kind of paint out that you can paint your shrubs green. Yeah, yeah. Yep. but I've I wonder how that. long yeah.
2: those needles will stay on yeah. there. You know, that's the 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 question. And my neighbors got some cryptomeria on her side of the fence, and they they are beautiful. They're creating a barrier between my backyard and her backyard. Uh, but I'm getting a lot of that dead needle drop into my mm-hmm. uh, into in my yard, which I'm I don't care. I'm fine yeah. with that. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see how long she keeps right. those up.
1: Well, with all our transplanting and planting and all, there's a product that I'm really liking. It's the uh, Fox Farm Microbrew. Y'all sell that oh, probably. Yeah, yeah the microbrew is full of microorganisms. It really helps uh, jumpstart your soil, you know. And um, Yeah,
0: this is not something you drink.
1: Yeah, okay. yeah, this is true. Let's clarify that. Micro brew—it's not something you drink, but you might could. Yeah, I would actually.
2: Not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't do I don't
1: recommend it. But it does have a lot and, of micro um, in it. Yeah, yes. yeah. So it's a really good product to use along with uh, your Super Thrive, mm. or just in general through your whole garden. You're even spray your lawn with it. It's just another good additive to give you like, but your secret ingredient. Yeah, the, mi- like that the soil brew and the kangaroo's
2: are about the same to me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Hangar roots is fun to say, though. Yeah, it is. All right, y'all, we'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You're listening to Veda, Kenneth, and Jim on KWAM 990 AM News Talk Radio.
2: Yeah, and if you want to give us a call this morning, guys, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926. You can always go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text like David and Marty did. We'll get to that in just a second. And guys, if you want to listen to this at any time, it's your convenience, uh, com streaming live all the time and listen to the podcast at any yeah, time. You can
1: just download the app Mighty 990.
2: And we did get uh, a text from uh, from David. Uh, David, was that nailing right there? In a, I can't read the writing, David. Sorry about that. But anyway, Dave, appreciate the text. It says that you were speaking earlier of a group of hummingbirds, they can be called a bouquet. Huh. A, bouquet a bouquet of, of hummingbirds, hummingbirds, which is more than one hummingbird. Mm-hmm. A cluttering, if yeah. you will. Never heard of that before. Uh a shimmer yeah. of hummingbirds. Uh and that. a hover mm, of hummingbirds. I've never I've heard just of
1: seen a hover. And the word I was thinking of was clutch of chickadees.
2: That's crazy, David. I uh, appreciate hover. that. I love that. Shimmer, then,
1: shimmer, shimmering. A yeah, shimmer of a sh- hum- I like shimmer.
2: A shimmer of hummingbirds. No one would ever know what you're mm-hmm. talking about.
1: But now all of our listeners do. But thanks so to David. Been, so, David, thank you yeah, for that text, you. buddy. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. I like Marty, the
2: input. Marty Kaiser, he texted in and he said, Good morning, guys. Speaking of the root stimulator, would it help to use it on our struggling cryptomeria uh, that mm. we had during the flash now, freeze?
1: Sometimes root stimulators can't bring back dead. <laughs> I don't know. So the, is the it beauty, everything to gain, nothing to, to lose, yeah, the, that kind of thing? Yeah, the beauty yeah. of a
2: root stimulator is you can use it on anything, uh, any tree, any shrub, any annual, any perennial. And what it does, it stimulates root growth. But we use it a lot for two reasons. When people are planting or transplanting things, they will use a root stimulator. Or if people are having a problem, Jim, as you know, with things, uh, whether it's over water, not enough water, you know, whatever problem they're having, winter damage, whatever, uh, you can make a solution of these uh, stimulants and pour it on the root ball. I like to do it once a week for about a month. Now, is it going to bring that cryptomeria back? We don't know yet. You know, their consensus is that the cryptomeria are not going to come back. But to me, the consensus in my mind was the we were not going to come back. Yeah. You know. So, I would uh, I would
0: consider going back to what you know Jim Brown and I used to talk about years ago, which was our witch's brew, where in a gallon of water you put a tablespoon of
2: water soluble fertilizer, tablespoon of say Tiger Bloom or right. Big Bloom, any of those, okay, right.
0: then a tablespoon of Epsom salts, and then a teaspoon of Super Thrive. And do that in a gallon of water, and pour it around your plants. Now remember that your active feeder roots are not next to your trunk. Mm-hmm. Okay, you want to get out at the drip line and just beyond the drip line, to and that's where you want to pour it. Uh, and uh, it it seems to work, and it's, it's a kind of a variation from one I got from from Heckel Heckle years ago. Uh, but I, again, I have seen it turn around some plants that I thought were going to die. Yeah. yeah.
2: And, and yeah. let's say you mentioned Epsom salts, which is magnesium sulfate, mm-hmm. uh the water soluble plant food, and the some type of a stimulant. And in this case it right. was Super Thrive. Right. But also let's say if you use the root stimulator, quote root stimulator. Yes.
1: Um It wouldn't hurt to add that too. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean yeah. so
2: it, all these are great products there you could that you can mix together, Jim. So I would Beta. use the
1: micro brew with what Jim could recommended. That. Yeah. That's that would be my my yeah, you know, thing. back when
0: Jim and I were talking about this many, many years ago, to what does not have microbes yeah, right no, you know, yeah, it, nobody was putting microbes uh, uh or mycorrhizae, mycorrhizae in anything, yeah. you know, um other than maybe Monrovia, they were adding it to their soil. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. you know, th- times have changed. So
2: yeah, it, it wouldn't be a bad idea to add it. And, and mycorrhiza is nothing more than a beneficial fungi that's active in our soil.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, you need it. You have to have it. Yeah. Yeah, to have live yeah, soil, right. healthy and, soil. And the, and the mo- reason
0: there are 35 varieties on the label <laughs> is because you know, very few are going to survive. Mm. Very few types. So, you know, the only way to make sure that you're going to have some that will, prefer your type of soil is to have a large selection of yeah that's so that, yeah. that's
1: how nature works anyway right. is you have a large selection of any type of species because you've got to make sure some of it survives at least so that's good and that that's kind of like the five star fescue five different types of fescue mixed in one exactly. so yeah because maybe this year this one's going to take better or maybe you're right on the line of this one doing good but this one doesn't so um, yeah, same thing, and that's why it's so many bacilluses. The, the names are crazy. I bet Jim can probably say every single one of the names. Well, no, but, not
0: even gonna try.
2: But, <laughs> but like, but the beauty, and I've always said this, with the products that are on the market now at the garden centers, it makes it easier for us, the homeowner, to grow anything. Like Jim just said, you know, used to you couldn't buy a water soluble uh, stimulant, or you surely couldn't buy a organic. Fertilizer that had mycorrhiza added mm-hmm. to it—you just couldn't. Right. It was. We different. had
0: two water-soluble fertilizers: Rapid Grow, which was the original water-soluble right. fertilizer, uh, and then we had Miracle Grow. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know which yep. Miracle Grow didn't make; they were just a marketing company, um, and they were probably made by the same people. So, right. uh, but Rapid Grow was the only 100% water-soluble fertilizer that I've ever seen. That's crazy. Miracle Grow—you'll see some sediment yeah. in it in the water but rapid grow was really in fact the guy that invented it i think actually got a nobel prize for it at a later date it was so homogeneous jim that it yeah. was just nothing for, left after you mix it with for water. his belief that you can actually put some nutrients through the foliage okay? yeah now we now know that
2: that's not a lot but it, it you can get some in there and, and, and you know and you've talked about this before depending on the the plant you know, the, the openings in the leaves mm-hmm. uh, is where the water-soluble plant foods potentially enter the system. Mm-hmm. But you're saying that you're always a little better off pouring the product on the root because right. that's where you get most mm-hmm. of the uptake. What of, dries
0: on the leaves is going to wash off to the to the ground. Right, you,
1: and then like... Yo, go ahead, I'm sorry.
0: Well, the issue is the little pores that we're talking about have a little ring of cells around them that are negatively charged, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, when you have po- positively charged particles, that's great. But most of the fertilizers are negatively charged particles. Mm-hmm. So they're repelled from that hole. So they're not going to yeah. make it through Urea there. Urea can get in because it has no charge. Yeah. Okay. But most of the nitrogen can't get in there. Well, that's, that's amazing. Like
1: they were saying, using, or we always said, use natural, when all the natural soil soups and all that came out, you know. You're fertilizing your foliage. You're fertilizing your plant, plants. It's taking fertilizer through the the plant. But actually, what was happening was it was like the microorganisms and things in the soil soup in that fertilizer. They were able to work down in it and help fight fungal diseases. But it was the runoff into the soil that was right. helping. Yeah. But that was with the nat. So if you're using a natural product as a foliar feed, I feel like you could get some other benefits in a little fertilizer. But far as like the Miracle Grows and the Jobs and all that, you may as well just put it on the soil. Yeah, but, you can but, get
2: it, a little. but, but it can be confusing because most of these water soluble plant foods have either a recommendation to spray on the foliage or they got a recommendation to mix and pour, okay? And my question would be why would they even have the recommendation on there as a foliar feed when that's not, it well, is the I case, but it's not truly that. the case.
1: Yeah, like Jim said last last time, there's a tremendous amount of research that's come out in the past 10 years. Yes. And so we're learning a lot of things um, that may not have been 100% true. They were still beneficial. I mean, it still helped some, but now we're learning more efficient ways. The,
0: the point is that if you go out there and spray water-soluble fertilizer, yeah. you're likely to cover everything. Mm. and the fact
2: that you're feeding is the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Even if that fertilizer is being washed off the foliage down to the ground, and that's where it's being taken in. Right. But even doing that, (laughs)
0: 99% of it is going to the ground when you Mm -hmm.
1: spray it. Yeah.
0: You're going to have very little actually stop and and adhere to the foliage.
1: Amazing. But it's so satisfying, it seems, to spray your foliage. I don't know why, but it is satisfying to stand out in your garden and just – spray and and enjoy the day and all, all that
0: like people we had watering in the garden oh,
1: no there. i was gonna go there <laughs> you're right well, you have I'm, to teach boy you have to teach how to water and jim
2: you, you know you mentioned that you know most of the nitrates that are out there have a negative charge so they're not going to be taken in by the foliage except you know i shouldn't say except but one like urea or a urea form nitrate will be a sort but then you know i'm thinking do any of the water solubles have urea form nitrates in them. I guess some of them M- do. Yeah, very little, actually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So,
1: because we get that from yeah. rain, too. And, nitrogen. And let me say this, yeah. That yeah. usually
2: the beauty of a water-soluble is they work really fast. They do. It's ammoniacal nitrogen. Yeah, and, it, and you mix it, pour it, spray it, whatever, and it's going to start to work immediately. I guess the drawback is it doesn't last that long, so you have to use it more often. Mm-hmm. But if you want a fertilizer that's going to work immediately, get yourself a water-soluble plant food.
1: Mm-hmm. Well... We're going to go to a break. It kind of caught me.
0: <laughs> we come back. I want to talk a little bit about what we're seeing, some spring dead spot, too, in the lawns. Oh.
1: We wondered about how our lawns are going to fare, didn't we? We yeah. haven't talked about that. We good had a topic. question
0: about it on the on the Facebook group this week. Excellent. So it's a good thing to get into.
2: Yeah.
1: All right, y'all stay tuned. And to KWAM 990 AM News Talk Radio, post your questions on our Facebook page live. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can join us this morning. I'm going to have to post on the Mid-South Gardening Facebook page a picture of this bee. He's my buddy. He hung out with me for 10 minutes or so. I've got a lot of great pictures. But he walked around on my hand, on my arm, sat on my shoulder, set on my hair. Customers were couldn't even talk to me they were so nervous about the bee so that's my strategy <laughs> but i don't want you to talk to me i'll just wear the bee <laughs> it's a great picture so i'll post that so y'all can see Yeah, was it. this a bee that actually oh, had a stinger it. on it it's a it was almost like
0: is it a is it a bumblebee or is it a um, i can't i don't see the front of the head it's probably
2: a carpenter bee that had you the little yellow you dot see the
1: front of it oh <laughs> you mean the very front. yeah yeah it had a, a dot so she Wait, yeah, yeah that thing's a shiny but yeah how about that one Maybe you yeah, can okay. tell by that, yeah. 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 But, I mean, I've got his eyes. I've got where his little nose is, like, getting this. I guess, though, so, because I had been playing with the flowers. Maybe I had fallen <laughs> all over my hands or something. But, well,
2: let uh, me say this. And, Jim, I know you got something to say about the lawns. But I had a guy come into the garden center the other day. And he had this beautiful outdoor living space, living area. okay, mm-hmm. And above the living area, uh, it was a, a wooded, structure, you know, the top was, and he showed me a picture of the, the it was beautiful uh, stained wood on the ceiling of this outdoor space. And of course it had a roof above it, but it looked beautiful. Okay. And he was having carpenter bees flying there and just start to riddle this brand new wooded interior ceiling that he had that was outside Uh, And his question was, you know, man, is there anything in the world I can do to keep these things from boring holes into my wood? And that's what carpenter bees do. And I said, man, you know, you can try, uh, you know, spraying with a like a bifenthrin type product that's got a good residual. I said, but uh, I would make sure that I sprayed a small area of the wood to make sure it doesn't stain in any way, you know. And then also, I said, if it comes down to it, you might have to get somebody to come in here and put a good uh, coating of polyurethane or some kind of varnish, you know, on this wood because we know that, you know, carpenter bees, they love raw wood. And if it's just raw wood that's been stained, they'll they'll drill through it too. But if it's been painted or if it's been finished, then they really don't like to bore holes through that type of wood. So... (laughs) Y'all I mean it it is amazing how this guy had never in his wildest dreams ever thought about a carpenter bee problem on this brand new beautiful wooded slatted ceiling that he had put in. Uh, so it's a real problem to some people.
1: Right? Okay. You know? I just posted the picture on the Mid-South Gardening USD Zones <laughs> usd a Thank you. USDA Zone 678.
2: <laughs> and so that's the mighty 990 well that's on jim's of uh,
1: yeah on uh, our mid south gardening facebook yeah. page that way you can see it and then on the comments y'all got a shout out to us say hello and, and then sh- like
2: i just said there are ways to get rid of those nasty things too
1: not the ones on my hand <laughs> <laughs> you Jim- all just have to experience it was so cute because it still had pollen I don't you know mind. what it amazes me man the thing is so amazing about these c- cameras everywhere and the cell phone cameras that we carry um, is the photos we get to get of the wildlife, like the little bees sleeping in flowers mm. or the bees with the pollen on their legs or their butts. Yeah. They're so cute. And
2: the carpet bee boring the hole in that guy's wooden ceiling. Yeah,
1: you could take a really good video no, of that, like too. It's bunny
2: rabbits, you
0: know? They're cute until they eat all your hosses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that cuteness factor wears off really quick.
1: Yeah, it does. <laughs> That's true. So we have to, we have to learn to coexist, to enjoy the, well, you know, it's like some, some of the companion planting things. Uh, This one gentleman has noticed that the bok choy that he plants attract, uh, the flea beetles just eat it up. Well, flea beetles also like other product, other um, leafy vegetables during that time frame. So he plants bok choy first. So the flea beetles can be interested in that because they like it the very best. Mm -hmm. Then subsequent subsequently (laughs) he plants his other crops. The flea beetles are mostly uh, attracted to the bok choy and not doing as much damage to the other things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, that's kind of how you're coexisting with nature. Is okay, so maybe give up your bok choy for, for all your other vegetables, mm-hmm. or remember the companion planting thing: the three sisters, the beans, the corn. What's the other one? Because the corn shades the tomatoes, and the corn and the beans can supply have a, a stalk. The, the beans
2: run up the stalk of the corn, right? And
1: then the beans put the nitrogen in the soil for the um, uh, corn. That that kind of thing. So it was just little strategies. Probably in smaller gardens is where things like that work.
2: Yeah, and flea beetles, I mean, they can, you know, it, the flea beetle reminds me of the soldier beetle. And, Jim, I know you got something to say about mm-hmm. lawns. and We might have to wait until. But the soldier beetle had a lady come into the garden center Sorry, the other Jim. day. And, you know, the <laughs> potato vine that people love to plant. And I love mm-hmm. potato vine. Love it, love it, whether it's in containers or whether it's in a bed because it's such a fast grower. Uh, you can get the chartreuse green foliage or the purple foliage. So it does everything it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. It's like a kudzu on you know, uh, on on steroids, but isn't. <laughs> yeah. But thank God, it's just an annual, right? Right, right. But there are these little beetles called soldier beetles that will eat holes into the leaves of these potato vines. And if you've ever seen a soldier beetle, it looks like a drop of gold. I mean, pure gold. I'm telling you. And she was asking me. She said, "Why do you think I have these holes in the leaves of my uh, potato vine?" And I said, "Well." If they're small little holes, you probably have soldier beetles. And, uh, you know, she bought some insecticide, of course, to use to spray on there to try to keep the soldier beetles, you know, at bay. Um, but it's they, it is they my point is, it doesn't have to be a large insect mm-hmm. to actually create a good bit of damage that we can see. It's not going to kill the potato vine. It's not eating the whole leaf yeah. off. But if you let them just go... And don't get rid of these soldier beetles. You'll have hundreds of little holes in every right. leaf, which makes them look horrible.
1: It really does. Yeah, use BT. You can spinosin. Spinosin BT is going to be good for caterpillars. Right, right. Yeah, use spinosin for that.
2: I mean, so yeah. I mean, it's. <laughs>
1: We what to do the lawn thing when we come back after yeah, well, that's the top what we of the said. hour because the lawn's like, we really got to talk about. But lawns. when you said <laughs>
2: flea beetle, there's another one of those little bitty beetles, you know, bigger than mm-hmm. about the size of a flea, a little bigger than a flea, but they also can create a lot of damage on the foliage of these plants, you know, like bok choy yeah. and some of the greens you're talking about, Veda. the
1: other one. I'm trying <coughs> to remember what the other ones were. Oh, well, let, me was, say,
2: let me say this real quick also. Mm-hmm. Another thing we're seeing a ton of out there, guys, are slugs and snails. In fact, to the point where a lady brought me a sample Mm -hmm. of a hosta leaf. It was a big, I think it might've been blue angel or one of these big ones, kind of a blue green. And she wanted to bring the sample in to show me. She said, Kenny, this is the kind of hosta that I'm looking for. (laughs) Well, in the stem, okay, in the, in the stem, there's three slugs. (laughs) This is just happens to be the one that she just cut off of her plant. I'm like, hey, do you have any holes in your leaves of these hostas? She went, well, yeah. I said, well, see these slugs that you just brought in to me? That's what's doing it. And slugs have been horrible out there uh, this year Mm -hmm. with all the wet weather we've had. So using some slug bait around your hostas about right now is going to be a smart thing to do.
1: Yeah, somebody asked me if there was slug um, proof hostas. There are
0: some that are highly slug resistant. And we have a hosta file on our facebook group and it tells you which ones are slug resistant that is
2: crazy jim is that because of the texture of the yeah some of them yeah. are
0: just hard like cardboard and they don't yeah. like it um but you know so i've had them. in fact this week i planted a huge empress woo and w- w- first night there was one little hole and now it's gotten bigger and each <laughs> night it gets bigger so we you uh, know we gave them a little treat for them to munch ah, on
2: yeah and hopefully they'll go away yeah and so the iron phosphide, which is very safe to use, granulated product, just sprinkle that on the ground around the hostas, mm-hmm. come back and lightly wet it. Do no, I can't remember? I mean, d- don't you lightly wet that product?
1: Yeah, just to have it adhere to right. the soil, not run off yeah, instantly. And,
2: and it does a really good job on getting those uh, snails and slugs. And then, of course, you can always get the beer in the little cup, drop it down in the ground, and they'll just get in there and have a good old time.
1: And Invite wildlife to your garden, too, because wildlife loves slugs like turtles. Y'all are listening to KWAM 990 AM News Talk Radio. The garden help you
0: need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder.
1: Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We're in our third hour, and we love every hour with y'all. You're listening to KWM 990 AM News Talk Radio. You are. You can find us on um, Facebook Live right now. Uh, you can download the app, Mighty990.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can even go right now to the Facebook page.
2: The Mighty990 Facebook page? Let Jim tell us the title.
0: I always butcher it. Oh, our Facebook group is Mid-South Gardening, Gardening in USDA Zones. 6, 7, and 8.
2: Yeah. yeah. And if you want to give us a call this morning, guys, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926. And Jim, you had made a comment that, um, you know, I said, you know, we mentioned lawn care. Um, you're seeing some potential problems and pictures, uh, of people are having some problems with their lawn. Yeah.
0: We've had, uh, had somebody post this week and then and, and, uh, several comments about, um, uh, brown spots in their yard and that the lawn care companies were telling them they couldn't do anything until fall. Hmm. Uh, so we're assuming that uh, that it is, uh, hey. they're assuming it's spring dead spot. And that would be correct. I mean, all you can do is treat it in the fall and it's difficult to control.
2: Now, spring dead spot is going right. to be a fungal pathogen right? that's attacking their lawn, whether it's Bermuda, zoysia, whatever. Right. Very difficult to get it to
0: grow back into it. Um, the couple of things that y- you should do, though, if you have it, is I would go ahead and treat it as if mm-hmm. it might be brown patch because mm-hmm. that's very much treatable and curable. But don't they look very similar? Very similar. Yeah. yeah. So I, I would go ahead and treat it. With a fungicide. But you want to do something different. And you, uh, if you've listened to this program a long time, you've heard me tell, tell you absolutely never put ammoniacal nitrogen on your turf okay no six, twelve, twelve, no triple 13 well here's the exception okay? <laughs> uh, spring dead spot you should not put urea or nitrate nitrogen on that okay you should use only ammoniacal nitrogen let's see that makes no it, sense to get it to grow back in there usually with most fungus fungal issues we tell you don't put any fertilizer on no nitrogen whatsoever none because it's just going to cause decomposing of organic matter in your soil uh uh, on the soil surface which is just going to amplify the problem yeah okay until you get the fungal problem corrected you typically stay away from the fertilizer right so you 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 treat it uh fertilize it rake out any dead organic matter that's there dead stuff yeah and uh and and (coughs) hope for the best okay and like I say, they're very treatable. You know, if you're having repeated problems with um, fungal issues in the spring, two things I would always recommend for you would be one, put down a fall application of a fungicide. Uh, mm. I like Eagle uh, or which is F yep, Stop. Yeah. Um. And and that's that's a good all-purpose product. If you're <coughs> having things like fairy ring. Uh, you may want to go to Heritage, which I think is a better product for that. Now, Heritage, you may not find it stocked in garden centers, but, you know, any of them can order it for you get you a bag of it. So it's a granular and, form and Jim, and what, very easy to What down.
2: fungal pathogen do we typically, typically see in Bermuda or Zoysia around here? Mostly it's brown patch. Brown yeah. patch, and that is
0: it's, it's Pretty from, treatable yeah and it's from cool wet springs and leaving uh, grass clippings down in there which is you know we tell you to leave the clippings but it can also cause issues especially
1: you know. if you're mowing your yard when it's too high mm-hmm. then yeah. you've got excess clippings if in you're there. cutting off too much yeah, at one time right, right. Yeah, use was, some of that micro brew too for the soil you know work on your soil as well because the better the soil, the better – you. because you're going to want your grass to grow back over those spots, right. too.
2: And the fungicide yeah. that you're putting down, you can either get a granulated version, and there's mm-hmm. two. There's one, Infuse, that's a good systemic mm-hmm. fungicide, mm-hmm. and then the Eagle, mm-hmm. then, what Jim was just talking about, uh, the Fertilome f which is also a systemic granulated fungicide. But you typically put those products down, uh, water them in, and then in two weeks, come back and reapply. Uh, and it usually does a really good job on most of the pathogens that are affecting our lawns in this area.
0: Yeah. The second thing that I would want you to do would be put down two pounds of um, potassium per 1,000 square feet in the fall. We see that it And that's really, that last number in the fertilizer. That's right. Get you a bag of zero, zero, 0,060 or something like that, and put down two pounds per 1,000, and we it, it really seems to help limit the amount of fungal issues that you have so, really okay yeah. so and then that's not a heavy rate two pounds per thousand no. the normal rate's about a pound per thousand okay okay um but you want to double that go to two pounds per thousand so if you get us a, a, a 50 pound bag of zero zero sixty it's going it's going to cover uh three thousand square feet or more uh or what well, 60 Uh, no, times 50 is, uh, 3,000. That's what, 25,000? And if you cut it in half, it's going to cover 15,000 square feet for you.
2: Okay, well, good. Had to do the math. But you're saying, but putting that potassium down, Jim, makes your lawn more resilient and and can fight off sometimes some of these pathogens that we're fighting with fungicides. You
0: know, years ago, we used to really push a product called winterizer. Yes. You know, we'd sell hundreds of bags of it. In the fall to put on your lawn. Yes. And it really was a good idea. It's got 14% potassium in it. Right. Uh, But somehow people have just not, they're not selling as much of
2: it as we used to. Yeah, it was was the last feeding of the year. Remember, it had a little nitrogen enough to kind of keep it green and growing, right? but it had that potassium, and that was the big number. And
0: and that's a good product to put down. You know, it's got, like you said, got the potassium. But what we also found is, is if you give them just a little bit of nitrogen, it will keep them greener about an additional two weeks into the fall and it'll green up about two weeks earlier in the spring Mm -hmm. so you know it's uh people need to get back on the head and and, and let me say this
2: and cheryl hang on just a second i know we got a caller from arkansas but let me ask one more question please on the the fungal pathogens that are potentially affecting people's lawns do we see more of it jim in the zoysia because it's a thicker grass or do we see just as much in bermuda uh, because, you know, predominantly there's more Bermuda out there than any other grass. I see less of it in zoysia unless water's running through it.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got an area where just, you know, the neighbor's yards all kind of funnel through your zoysia. Right. You can almost guarantee you're going to have a little fungal problem next spring. Gotcha. So I would do that. And it varies some by Palisades doesn't seem to be as uh, susceptible as, say, El Toro. Gotcha. You know, so, but it's it's a good idea if you got water moving through there. Uh, in a heavy rain, treat it with a fungicide.
2: And I guess the symptom is a bare spot right in your lawn where right. the grass is just thinning and kind of going away in these in these spots. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, right. So I would kind of work the soil up, add some compost also, Heal the or soil. the micro micro brew would be good. Um, I don't have a yard now, but when I had a yard, I'll tell you what worked good for me when I was using all the natural products, and I started with the yard. Uh, fresh sod was just laid so there had been nothing before or after but i used uh, the milorganite and the spoma lawn food Mm. yeah those two three times a year actually Mm -hmm. for so spring midsummer yeah and i was thinking because jim's talked about y'all were talking about winterizer which is really important i think as well so you can have food and things like that through the season too So I'd use Milorganite, um, would be my um, summer one, actually. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I would use the Espoma lawn food as well. And then I also did the liquid fertilizer. Like at one time, it was the soil soup Mm -hmm. at that time that everybody that we all made and brewed at our garden centers and then sold it. But now luckily... We don't have to go through all that because there's products like the Fox Farm and the kangaroos and and the microbrew and yeah,
2: yeah, all those and the Garrett Garrett juice mm -hmm. and all those products are really good to use. Yeah, so that's
1: that's just another one too, and you know that's just going to help your soil be good to grow good thick grass Mm -hmm. and um, keep your lawn healthy. And so, of course, that's not addressing the problem that we're discussing, but that's just a good formulation of, of products to use and if you want to spike your lawn with uh, other products you can do that too but i still think it's good to add a lot of the natural products into your your lawn for just the ease of and the less mowing i mean you yeah. don't have to mow so much when you have a nice slow steady growth you don't mow the green off and then you have brown left like if you're just flushing a lot of people just do straight urea Grows big, tall, green, fast, and then you mow your lawn, and you mow all the green off, and then there's the brown because it grew out of the fertilizer that you gave it. So if you're using the natural fertilizer, you've got to slow release feed continuously.
2: And Cheryl, hang on. I know we got to go to a break, but let me say this: two seconds before we go to the break is usually we say if you've got a good, healthy lawn, you won't have a fungal problem. Mm-hmm. That's typically the case, okay? But you can still have conditions. Mm-hmm moist you know it can rain for two weeks and have high humidity and we can still get a fungal pathogen in our lawn even though our lawn is basically being grown the way it should be grown so don't forget that either
1: and that's why we're adding microorganisms (coughs) and all of that because our soil has that naturally but since we're participating in the life of our plants and all sometimes we're lower on the the beneficial fungus that would have normally taken care of the uh, bad fungus Mm -hmm. So that's another reason we keep adding along with everything else. Let's run to a break. And Cheryl, thanks for the call. Hang on one second. We'll get you after the break. You're listening to KWAM, 990 AM News Talk Radio. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Let's go to Cheryl calling from Arkansas. Good morning, Cheryl. You're in the Mid-South Garden. <laughs> Good morning, and I love your show. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you appreciate for the call, dear. Yes, ma'am.
4: I planted Arkansas. I bought seeds. Arkansas Traveler, Celebrity, Mm -hmm. Park Whopper, Tomatoes, planted them in the house. Mm -hmm. As soon as they got the second set of leaves, I transplanted them to deeper pots, bearing them to the top leaves. Mm -hmm. I did this a couple more times. Now, they're about six inches tall, with more leaves. Mm -hmm. They have skinny stems. So, what should I do at this point? Should I keep trans- cutting their bottom leaves off? Should I keep cutting their bottom leaves off and transplanting to bigger pots?
0: Are you going or to you grow they- them in pots or are you going to put them in the ground?
4: No, no, they're going to go in the ground. Or should I bury their leaves and plant them now because their stems are still so skinny?
2: Yeah, I'd plant them now. So the soil temperatures are warming <laughs> yeah. up. Get those things yeah. out there. Leave
0: the, leave the top two leaves sticking out of the ground. You know? Oh, good. And uh, oh, I could
4: plant them. They're so skinny, though, you know. Yeah, but all
0: that skinny will become root systems, so we're not really concerned about that. But as soon as okay. you get them in the ground and get full sun on them uh, and they're get you know, all those roots getting out, you're going to see them make a major change really
2: quick. And I'm going to tell you what, Cheryl, uh, you mentioned mm-hmm. Arkansas Traveler and you mentioned the Park and What was the third one that you mentioned? Celebrity. 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 I mean, to me, those that would be almost my top three tomatoes that's, to that's plant. That's a trifecta right there. That's, that's some good stuff, yeah. Yeah.
4: Well, that's where I got my uh, know-how from your show. Thank you. I remember you told me that.
2: Yeah, all, you
4: told and, me that. And Cheryl,
2: and what we do is, like, when your tomatoes are almost ready to be picked, you can call us, sure. and we'll come help you, um, you know, take them off the vine for or you. feel free to just drop them by the
0: station here and leave them out front.
1: <laughs> Is that
0: what that is on the front porch? That's uh, those uh, What's on the front porch are some spinning primrose. Uh, one of our, our uh, listeners who I think lives in Nashville um, wanted saw my spinning primrose and said, I, I used to have one, and I'd like to have some more. So last night, I dug her some little
2: seedlings, and, I, and they're in buckets out front the porch. You ought to do this for porch. Cheryl also. I saw yeah. that when I walked in. Yeah. Cheryl, let me ask you one question uh, The Where are you going to plant the tomatoes? Are they going in raised beds, or is this ground level?
4: No, they're going in in the regular ground. I compost all through the year. Good. So we got all the compost leaves and composted vegetables and just did in the garden. Perfect. So we got some really good dirt there right now. And I'm even getting like an underground uh, water system with my husband's. Yeah, with the
0: pipes, uh-huh. Yeah, that's great. Okay. That will really minimize the leaf disease issue.
2: Yeah, now you're doing it right. And the only other thing that you might think about, Cheryl, is you know getting that pH checked. You want that pH around uh, you know anywhere from 6.2 to 6.8, around 6.5, uh, just making sure that uh-huh. pH is up there where it needs to be. The only thing left
0: right, I, uh, you need uh-huh. is about uh, 48 to 50 days in Miracle Whip, and we're ready and to
4: go. How- Yes. How far apart do you think I should plant them because this year I think I want to try to put them on a wire, you know,
2: yeah, I mean it, it it you know I like to have a little bit of air circulation between the tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you just don't have as much potential problems mm-hmm. with insects or disease if you you've can got work that between circulation them
1: too yeah yeah
2: and whether that's three foot apart and I've seen people plant them two foot apart, you know, but I would mm-hmm. try to go at least three foot Cheryl between yeah. each tomato yeah. plant.
4: Okay, and when when I plant them then, should I uh, just bury them all the way to the top set of leaves pretty much?
0: Yes. Yep, pretty just, much, just yeah. leave the top two leaves sticking out of the ground. That's it. Yeah.
4: Oh, you've all been so wonderful. You all are just so helpful. Well, you really, you know, everybody appreciates you.
0: You really things. are the wonderful one for getting up and listening to us <laughs> on Saturday morning. <laughs> I
2: listen no, I to that.
4: <laughs> long the time. I, just, I just hate to keep calling. I got, oh, can I have one more question? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the bad news is I got. Somebody gave me some wild blackberries, and that was. I had just a few. Now they're all over the yard. Every every spot I can, my flowers and and I can't get them out. They're they're really long. They got stickers on them. Runners underneath, and they're really troublesome. And right, like they're like the violets I have. I'm just ready to pull my hair out with them
2: yeah I mean if they're in the lawn, Cheryl, and you want to get rid of them uh, there is a if, if if they're in a lawn lawn, there's a product mm-hmm. called uh bone-eyed bk thirty two it's actually a brush killer, but it's a brush killer mm-hmm. that you can spray in your lawn to kill brushy type weeds and broadleaf weeds including violets okay now it's not the only okay, product yeah. out there, but you're also trying to kill blackberries so I would get the uh the bk thirty two uh, and spray that out there. Come back in about ten days, two weeks, if need be, and spray again. And you'll knock a lot of those uh, blackberries, raspberries, whatever they were, out of there, mm. and potentially also kill a lot of the broadleaf weeds.
0: And where they're in so your fair. where they're in your beds, what you can do uh-huh. is pull them over and, and mix you up a, a gallon of Roundup uh, in uh-huh. just a bucket. Pull them over and use a uh, a, a clothespin to hold them down into it. And then usually cover mm-hmm. that with a little saran wrap to keep birds out of it and that sort of thing. So just make a uh-huh. solution, Jim. Yep, and but just the- let it sit there and let it soak up that stuff, and it will take it well down into the root systems. Can't hurt anything else around you. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. it it mm-hmm. will it will you'll get a lot of dieback from doing that. Oh, yeah. that's
4: wonderful! Just spray the top. Oh, thank you all so very much, and hey. I hope you all have a blessed
1: day. You okay? too. You happy thanks, Mother's
2: Day, dear. Thanks yes,
1: for the call. Yeah, so you can add some tiger bloom to your tomatoes, um, garden tone, or even the um, big bloom. You know, do some extra stuff throughout the season so you can get some really good, juicy, beautiful tomatoes that you can win the great tomato contest mm, with. Yeah. And one of the secret ingredients the
2: I told you last weekend was the, or two weeks ago, was the calcium nitrate. Uh, it comes in a four-pound bag. It's a combination of calcium and, and nitrate nitrogen, Jim, as you know, which is a quick-release nitrogen. But it's that calcium that's, uh, that's really taken up by the plant. And first of all, it's good for tomatoes. Second of all, it helps prevent the blossom end rot. Mm-hmm.
1: And the Great Tomato Contest is going to be at the Agri Center. Mm-hmm. Um, and so check out the Master Gardeners page. And you will see when the great tomato contest is going to be. And then use all the things that we've recommended for your tomatoes the calcium carbonate, calcium nitrate, calcium yeah. nitrate <laughs> that you can use on your tomatoes also. But use um, garden tone, tomato Love tone, it. anything mm-hmm. like that, feed them. Um, to get you some good tomatoes and looking for... Are, who's judging this year? I think they, they picked? Have you got... Are you judging this I'm year in. too? Yeah. Okay. Ooh.
2: You know, that yeah. that time that we all we all did it mm-hmm. at one time or another, and, and I love tomatoes, and I've said yeah. this a thousand times before, I was scared to death that I was going to go in there and eat so many tomatoes that I would hate tomatoes mm-hmm. for the rest of my life. And it turned out where I still had a great time yeah. and, I, and I loved eating every tomato that was put in front of me. Um, so... I guess I love them that much to where I could eat them every day, all day, and never get tired of it. Thank goodness.
1: Yeah, like Jim said, just have some mayo ready And how many days?
2: Uh, about, she's looking 48, 50
0: days, yeah. you know, since she's putting them in the ground, and, you know, mm-hmm. maybe to get the first ones, um, you know, about 70 days to really, when it's really into production.
2: Uh, but that little bread and Miracle Whip and... <laughs> New life movie. is good She'll but, but good she, go. her, her trunks are still real skinny she said because i'm mm-hmm. I mean, of course she's been growing them
0: from seed yeah and she's also doing them you know inside probably under lights and yeah. you just
2: even they, with grow lights you just don't get the stockiness yeah. and they still stretch a little yeah. bit mm-hmm. it's, but you just be gentle and careful get those things in the ground plant them deep like you said where just the top two leaves are sticking out In A good sunny area, uh, you know, with good compost that she said, you know, good well-drained soil, and she should be perfectly fine.
1: So, And other things that are still – there's a lot of things going on in the garden community. Of course, you know, right when spring kicks off, we've got – everybody's got plant sales and all. Now it's where you're getting into the season where we go on the garden walks to see what people bought at their plant sales Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. to see what's growing. There's a number of things. Through our garden gates is coming up pretty soon. Through our garden gates, uh, the Cooper Young Garden Walk. It's going to go on for a lot of months. Actually, it has a huge spread out of gardens. It's a whole different thing than it used to be. So, that's a good one to check into as well. And Kim Hayek, she actually has
2: a good bit to do with that, which right. is a wonderful thing. Because, yeah. like you said, Veda, Through Our Garden Gates has been going on for years. Mm-hmm. And they typically have, what, five or six properties that you can go visit yeah. and see the landscape and, I mean, and take notes if mm-hmm. you want to. Well, the other one, the Cooper. Young yeah, Garden, young walk, garden walk, Citywide yeah. Garden Walk, it's going to go on for much longer. Mm-hmm. Um So many other properties across the city. So both of them are great ways to get out there and get some good ideas what to do in your own landscape. Yeah.
1: You know, even Elmwood Cemetery is a great place to go walk around it's and beautiful. look at some plants it and is. trees and things. Mm-hmm. Is that an arboretum now, the Elmwood Cemetery? I think it is, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, that, that would be really interesting to look at because you never just can't imagine what a tree looks like that, until you actually see it growing. But I
2: swear, I do like going through people's on a tour and seeing what they've done because everyone else will have the same. We'll, we'll come across something like, oh, that looks great against that wall. Yeah. And I'm going to do the same thing. And you can see that every day on our Facebook
0: group.
1: Yeah. Good point, y'all. Hang on because we've got more to go. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can be with us today. Give us a call, 901-260-5926. You can post questions on the Facebook Live page, too. And we were talking about lawns uh, not too long ago. We were talking about the fertilization, fungal problems, and all that, but we did forget to mention putting a pre-emergent down to stop the weed seeds before they come up.
0: Yes, and you should be putting your second spring application sometime between now and the end of the month, really. Yeah, and that's yeah. going to keep a lot of that crabgrass and stuff from coming up crabgrass, later on. Goosegrass, particularly, yes. is late germinating. you got a lot of late germinating summer weeds. Uh, and it's, it will actually, if we have rainy July, you'll have some bluegrass coming up in August. Mm. Mm. So it's good to have that
2: barrier down. And that's why, know. Jim, you're saying ideally put a pre-emergent down about every three months. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, and fertilizer is critical if you want to have a good turf,
0: okay? Mm. Now, over-fertilizing is not good, Okay. because <laughs> like Beta said, you're cutting into the green and you're removing too much, and then the grass has to use stored carbohydrates, and it actually weakens the grass. Crazy. So, use a good quality fertilizer, uh, 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 something that's going to feed it slowly. Mm-hmm. If, follow the label rates on Bermuda. On Zoysia, back it off some, mm. okay? It will... Zoysia has so much silica in the grass that if you're cutting it and forcing it a lot, it doesn't decompose very quickly. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So is that funny? So it doesn't break down as
2: quick, right. As even Bermuda would. And so the it, clippings it
0: only needs about half as much nitrogen per thousand square feet as Bermuda. Yeah. If you've got fescue, you know you normally you're only going to do it twice a year. Spring a and light fall. dose in the fall is in the summer is okay, but not much. Yeah. Uh, but there, it only needs about 25% of the same amount of nitrogen uh, to get a, a good turf. Yeah. Okay? It's, it's a lower demand. Yeah. Now, you can fertilize the bejesus out of it, you know? As we say, you can hear it grow and mm-hmm. cut your way back to the house.
1: Right. <laughs> like my friend across the street that actually had to buy another lawnmower.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right. So so things to think two about. Two lawnmowers. So
1: I'm saying not yeah. buy another lawnmower. He had two lawnmowers to keep his yard in control.
2: All right. So... <laughs> In the lawns, and and Bermudas and zoysias are just now really starting to come out of dormancy, if you think about it, right? So potentially pre-emergence to keep the weed seed from coming up. Mm -hmm. Post-emergence, spraying out there to kill weeds that are actively growing as we speak. Feeding the lawn, like y'all are talking about, usually a a non-burning, slow-release type fertilizer. And then, of course, pH. You know, you want to make sure that your pH is around six and. 6.2 6.2 to 6.8, um, six, 6.5 being ideal, just kind of like the tomatoes that we talked talking to Cheryl a while ago in the vegetable garden. You want that pH up around 6.5. You can do everything just right, and if that pH is down in the uh, you know, four and a half, five and a half gym that we see sometimes, even in the 6s, you're not going to get the benefit of the fertilizer that you put down. So it is important overall to have a good-looking lawn to have that pH up where it needs to be.
1: Right. Now, things that look pretty together— I've noticed that that Spirea Ogon. Like me and Kenneth. Yes, yeah. Thank yes. you, Jim.
2: Hey, yeah, brother. Be, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Y'all, funny. Um, spirea Ogon. I just I don't have I don't know what to say about that. Spirea <laughs> Ogon. It's yellow. It's just mm-hmm. really butter yellow the foliage. Mm-hmm. And thin. It's a, a different looking Spirea than your traditional Van Hootie eye and. Uh, uh, all the new double plays and all. But it's it looks more, it's just beautiful. And then red verbena with that yellow spirea. Those mm-hmm. two colors together are so, and so, it's just shockingly beautiful. I yeah, noticed that.
2: And, and let me say this, you know, when we were growing up, spirea was either Anthony Waterer mm-hmm. or some kind of, you know, white-blooming Bridal you, Veil you, spirea. You had Gold Mound.
0: Yeah. Right? yeah gold actually, melon. Lime Mound from Monrovia yeah. was the first one. But wow. there's
2: so many... Beautiful foliaged spireas, in particular, that are on the market now. Uh, candy, what is it? Candy corn yeah, is that candy one of them. Corn.
1: Uh, All I mean, the double plays are. Yes, play I mean, even when they're not
2: blooming, they look
1: great There's during one that's the growing season. Kind of bluish foliage to it that I need mm-hmm. to find. It just came to my head. I forgot about that one. Then another pretty combination is uh, the rose. Well, this a uh, red rose. This one in the that I saw was Grace and Grit. And then, um, which is a, know, like a, a
2: shrub rose, yeah, like a yeah. shrub
1: rose, a pretty evergreen in there, like a arborvita or a boxwood, you know, something pretty like that, that kind of texture, and blue salvia that would look pretty. This is a, a pretty garden together. See,
2: you could tell Veda okay. misses those days when she was putting a lot of these containers together, mm-hmm. yeah, you know,
1: or well, even just landscaping. I do miss going out and combining things and doing people's landscapes. We do little vignettes and vignettes in the garden center. And those were just really strikingly pretty. And I didn't do them. Somebody else did. And one of the guys that was putting shrubs up and things, I said, just make it pretty. And I said, you know, don't really, just make it pretty. And he actually did a good job. It wasn't a shade plant with a sun plant and all that. Because sometimes you'll see vignettes and they look really good together. But this plant needed full shade. This one needs full sun, but they're together and it's just not going to work.
2: Well, Vader, are there any don'ts? When people have containers, and Jim, you know, they have a container and they want to do something with it, okay? Mm So you get a good, high-quality potting soil. That's the first thing. You want to use a potting soil, not a garden soil for a container, right? And not a topsoil, potting soil for containers. You always say that you can mix your annuals and your perennials and your ground covers and even some shrubs. You can you can have all a combination of those, those things in the same pot. It doesn't have to be just a pot of annuals, correct?
1: Right. right. Are there
2: any big-time no-no-no's? You know, don't do that out there. Or is it just a matter of preference? Mm, you know? I would
1: say the only thing that I really see that that struggles sometimes is over competition with petunias. Mm. I don't I just see that happen. They don't like all that competition of too, too many other plants with them. It seems like the petunias get longer and leggier. That was kind of with the older ones, the new ones, like the superfinias. And the and wave the petunias, waves. and
2: they kind of just fall out of the pot and everything. Yeah, so
1: it don't seem to be. Yeah, so really I can't think of a don't. And Do I guess one of the one biggest yet? things
2: is make sure, you know, if it's in the sun, you get sunny type plants. Of course, mm-hmm. if in, in the shade, you get shady type plants. But other than that, it doesn't matter how you mix these things. It's just a matter of preference on what you like in there.
1: I did do a container where the one where the middle plant, the tall one can take uh, full sun or even mm-hmm. uh, part shade. and then on one side of the container was shade plants and then on the other side was sun plants because the back side was shade and the front side was sun. That's crazy. basically so that way and I can see it from all around. So I had two different environments in one container because above it was um, a, a patio. So it was getting full sun before, you know, it hit the top. So that would have been different if it was getting sun from the top. Okay, let's go to Cookie calling from Bartlett. Good morning, Cookie. You're in the Mid South Garden. Hi, y'all. And
3: thank you for mentioning Elmwood Cemetery. I'm a tour guide there. Yeah. Oh, great. And and we are a level two arboretum, mm-hmm. which means what, a hundred different species ah, of trees. Crazy. Mm-hmm. That have 1,500 trees, and um, we give tours, tree tours in the spring and in the fall. So check us out, yeah. elmwoodcemetery.org. Yeah. Yeah. But- I, I do have a question about some daisies. I drove from Nashville last week and decided to take the Natchez Trace mm. Parkway, which was wonderful. Yeah. Beautiful yeah. instead, of the, instead of the expressway. Mm-hmm. And there were all these wild daisies, I guess wildflower daisies growing along the, the road there. Not the little annoying weedy ones like mm. in our yard.
0: Not like fleabane, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Just big full headed daisies. So I had to stop and pull some up and I brought home to plant, I guess they'll do well since they're you know apparently native or wildflower. Should I cut their beautiful little heads off when I plant them so all the energy goes to their roots or can I what Uh, should
1: I do? I know that's a hard one. Are they
0: close to being (laughs) mature as far as the flowers?
3: Yes, they are wide open almost palm size. Yeah, I
0: I, I would enjoy them for a day or two Mm -hmm. and then remove them. I would not want them to try to make seed this year. Okay. Oh, that way leave so the don't. leave the foliage on it so that it can help rebuild it and get well established. And then next year you can probably just let them do their own thing.
2: And Jim, why would you not want to let them potentially produce seed this year because it's That's taken a, away from the strength of the plant. It takes all
0: the energy. Yeah. You know,
2: plants are
0: they're smart but they're they're single-minded. Mm-hmm. They can only do one thing at a time. They bloom or they grow leaves, or they grow roots. They don't do all of that well at the same time. So we don't allow them to set seed. uh, Then they save that energy, and it's
2: spent better in in giving the plant a staff. So it's better if Cookie goes in there, enjoy them for a couple days, like you said, then go ahead and take take them off of there. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Thank you so much.
2: Hey, thanks for listening, And, and we... Call back,
0: remind us when you start doing the tours, and let's see if we can't get, get you a little publicity to get some people Great.
2: down there. All right,
3: Cookie. All
1: right, thanks a lot. Hey, thank, thank you, Dorothy. dear.
3: Hey, and
2: Veda uh, or Jim, one of y'all have to get on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. My phone just went dead, and we had a texter on there talking about, I think, some tea olives. So um, I think it might have been Christy Davis, but y'all can correct me if I'm wrong. So um,
1: Tea olives. Okay, well, we're going to go to a break, and then we'll get address her question and then give you a few more hints for the mother's day you know the mother's day is the third where you spend how am i trying to say it ah you spend a lot of money at christmas and then there's another holiday i can't remember what it is halloween christmas halloween Halloween, then mother's day mother's day should be at the top all right because there's lots of mothers that's right we'll be right back (laughs) good morning Welcome back to Mid South Gardening. So glad y'all joined us. If you've missed anything, you can go back and listen to our podcast,
0: com. When you're sitting at home and go, Did Vader really say that?
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. you can listen to that again. Yes, she did. (laughs) You can go to the Facebook page. The Jim's administrator. Yeah,
0: and hey, we had uh, Christy Davis send us a text, and and she said, love learning all the best practices for our lawns. Thank you so much for this show. Thank you so much for this comment. thank you, Christy. Yes, ma'am. And she says she has a tea olive with sparse green leaves now appearing at the bottom, should I cut it back. It's about seven feet tall, but bare from the winter event. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of the sweet olives, Jim. Yeah, and that's uh, that's, uh, what I would say is probably... Start at the top, cut back, but I don't think you'll find much green wood until you get close to the base. I agree. Uh, And then it will use all of that energy to stimulate that growth, and it will get fairly
2: tall fairly quick. Yeah, and and that's the good thing. I shouldn't say the good thing. One of the good things about the plants that are coming back low to the ground is a lot of these plants are well-established. So they've got a really good root system already established, okay? Which means when you cut all that dead tissue back, like in Christy's case, you're going to cut it back close to the ground because she is getting new growth coming back from the ground, you're going to get a lot of growth, a lot faster growth, a lot more growth than you normally would because the root system is already established on these plants, Mm -hmm. you know? Some of these plants have been there for years Uh, And it reminds me, there again, of these sweet olives, the same thing that happened to them. They were toast from the top down to about five inches off the ground. I mean, they just were. In the same case with this tea olive with Christy. So, yeah, getting all that stuff cut back, cut it out of there, come back and feed. Uh, You really want to stimulate new growth. And one good way to do that is by feeding these plants. Um, So, yeah, I mean, Christy, that's going to be the they don't you think that the smartest thing to do yeah you know, then cut it back and so. feed them
1: i think so i was looking at the facebook page you know seeing what people have been posting this morning um i had posted a picture of me with the bumblebee and somebody wanted to know what was the story in the issue neither i just thought it was a cool picture <laughs> the story is all bumble or the bees don't you know bees don't careful what you say
2: bees do sting Uh, they do
1: sting but like if the bees just cruising through wouldn't you go sting somebody if somebody screamed really loud in your ear and started slapping at you probably would you kind of defend yourself so i'm just saying when they cruise by just let them cruise by yeah but i didn't have any story or issues about it i just thought it was that may be one
0: thing you'll want to go back and listen to (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, i mean do you watch people slapping and screaming and and everything, running from the bee, and, and then you break your leg because you were so scared of the bee when the bee was just cruising by like, hey.
2: Yeah, but carpenter bees, like I told you in the early part of the show, carpenter mm-hmm. bees that have the little yellow dot right there, you yeah. know, between their eyes, usually they're not going to sting you. In fact, they don't even really have a stinger, I don't think. The females can, the males don't, right. what else but they do can cause a lot of damage if you've got raw wood out there, and they're boring holes right into it. So
1: There's black spot problems coming along. That's why along. I wanted a tennis yeah. racket out there. Oh yeah, I mean I know if you had a nice new arbor built, mm-hmm. of course you, you don't want that carpenter bee in there.
2: Invader, What type of mulch do you like to use or don't use?
1: Um, I mean I know any mulch I know is, adult, is good, and yeah. and the and and like light cypress mulch. I like cypress like that, that
2: fresh raw kind of wood looking. Um, and the reason why we bring this up, we get this question all the time. You know what mulch is the best mulch? Well, the answer to that is any mulch if used properly or put down properly it is good i think that surely you have different different benefits one is it looks good i love the way mulch looks and i don't care if it's cedar mm. cypress yeah. pine hardwood any of those
1: oh remember i said mulch solves everything well i'm watching that happen now <laughs> i have seen beds that plants are they're barely... They're, they're dead. Some are just dead. But it's got but a fresh mulch, layer of mulch. It looks good, Dana. Yes, yes. Solves everything. So
2: mulch but looks I, good. Uh, it helps insulate the roots in the wintertime. It helps hold moisture around the roots in the summertime. Um, and it helps suppress weeds. Now... If you go overboard and put down, you know, six, eight inches of mulch around some of these shallow-rooted plants, Jim, as you know, like Japanese uh, maples or even azaleas, is, yeah. you know, you're doing more harm than good. And that's where sometimes, you know, mulch can get a bad name. It's not the mulch itself. It's the how much mulch is being applied.
0: Yeah, you, there's almost never a need to put more than two inches of horse mulch on it. I if, have to agree. If you're using something that's fairly fine, then probably an inch is m- ah, more than enough. You're yeah. so
2: right, and and yeah. you never want to get mulch in the crown of your plants. We right. see so many people go out there, a wheelbarrow and a shovel, and they're slinging this stuff everywhere, and it's getting down into the crowns, especially of these azaleas and these boxwoods, and that's not a good mm-hmm. thing either. Yeah,
0: right. one of the things we brought up this week on one, on one of our posts is, you know, can you build a bed up underneath a big tree? And the answer is absolutely, but Mm -hmm. you do not want that mulch that you put in there to cover the root flare of that tree. Mm -hmm. Leave that alone, Mm -hmm. but then you can put three or four inches of soil Mm -hmm. almost out to the drip line Mm -hmm. and not significantly damage Mm -hmm. the tree because most of the really important roots are beyond beyond the drip line. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, don't don't build your bed out of 100% native soil. Because plus your plants don't do well and it's too heavy right. to cover the soil. But we're Jim's talking composts. Right, when you know, you're putting life, in a
0: good quality yeah. soil. And you know, and you what you can do is just go in there and you know, put you an inch of compost down. And then when you're ready to plant something, just do site preparation. Right. You yes, know, incorporate yes. that down into the clay with yeah. maybe a little soil conditioner. So you're not
2: tilling the whole area right. under these trees, right. which you can't do anyway. That's mm. right. Just and then let me say first. this also. You know, when you see a big pile of mulch sometimes in the summertime, you see that thing steaming? <laughs> well, there's a reason behind yeah. that. It yeah. gets really hot. And I've seen people get a truckload, mm-hmm. bulk load of mulch, run that thing home, and start scattering that burning, blazing mulch around their tender little bedding plants. And guess what happens the same day?
1: Just burned up. It,
2: they, it will flat out burn them Gosh, up. Gosh,
1: you can even pull it off, and make sure you don't get it around the little bedding plant. Mm-hmm. But I promise the heat that comes off of it mm-hmm. still fries that little tender right. thing.
0: Yeah, and you get tannic acid around it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when you see that brown water flowing out of your mulch, that's tannic acid, okay, mm-hmm. and that's affecting your pH. You know, I have seen people go in and mulch pansy beds, and the next morning the pansies are silver.
2: Yeah. You know, yeah. it has Is taken it bl- the green out of yeah. the plant. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know?
1: True.
2: So. And I don't mind it's, people using bulk mulch. I've always used bagged mulch. It's more convenient for me to, and to get a bag. Definitely
1: less expensive. I yeah. mean, bagged is more expensive, but replacing it's convenient. Is to, it's convenient for me. It is easy me. to carry, you know. Mm-hmm. Getting your, but you know, I as I as I spending a time working in yards. When it was time to work in your client's yard and they were going to have a party and you needed to mulch and then you mm-hmm. go to the mulch yard and mm-hmm. it's not. Uh, broke down well enough it's still steaming mm-hmm. that's such a hard situation to be in as, as a person careful. in landscaping you know
0: particularly when you spread it in that party that night it smells Ooh, like serious. yeah it does it's wonderful yeah. let me say that How but also days?
1: it takes like almost a week to evaporate that smell to kind get of less dissipate a little less bit. yeah
2: uh really quick guys another shout out to all the moms out there happy mother's day hope y- y'all have a great weekend they including you Go buy your independent garden centers, Palladios, Dan West Garden Centers, and you go find a ton of stuff. A uh, ton yeah. of stuff, whether it's color, mm-hmm. annuals, perennials, trees, shrubs, whatever. You'll find stuff for your sweet yeah. mom. And uh,
1: my son's visiting Guatemala right now, and he's uh, sent some little videos back of some of the plants that are there. Oh, yeah. Um, it's just... Um, More
2: like tropical in nature. Yeah,
1: like the long, long, thin leaf alocasias. There's so many types of elephant ear, alacacia, calacacia plants there. The leaves are just... It's all the exotic plants that people are growing indoors now.
2: Yeah, it's, and that's why like, we love tropicals. I mean, there are uh-huh. plants that typically don't grow here through the winter, of course. Yeah. But most of your tropicals, the beauty of them is they usually bloom a lot.
1: Right. And hey, you know, you can plant mandevilla and diplodemia in a container, oh like Lord, a hanging yes. basket. Yes. Instead of it vining up, it can trail over and vine up both.
2: We'd also like to thank Philip, the guy behind the glass over there that keeps us straight every Saturday morning. So, Philip, thank you. Job well done, as always.
1: Y'all listen to our podcast, and we will see you next weekend in the garden on KWAM 990 AM News. Bye, y'all. <laughs>